I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as vampires, bloodsuckers, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. So here we are after 15 episodes, it's vampires. I mean, I've been trying for a while, man, but you're not a vampire fan. It's really hard to get you to watch these things. Yeah, no, and there there's some gems in there from my youth that we're going to discuss here shortly, but uh, it's a step above werewolves for me where it's not really my <laughs> thing, but it's still like... I don't know. Maybe it's going to be one of those things like as we go on, I watch the shit and I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember seeing this. But so far with some of the first picks, I'm like, oh, no, I hadn't seen these. Well, I mean, the thing is, like for you, I feel like the vampire movies probably have to go a certain way. And we probably cover most of those today. <laughs> and by today, yeah. we record two episodes at a time. And I'm just going to go ahead and say we cheated for uh, category these next two episodes. It's going to be vampires part one and part two. I'm such a vampire fan that I couldn't pick two movies since we're trying to do four movies episode. I was stuck on like three or four. So we just decided to do two episodes in a row. Yep. And there's going to be, you know, there's one that's been made mention of before that I absolutely adore. And, uh, for listeners that, uh, know me as the guy that bitches about needing his comedy and his action beats, a couple of movies that may take people by surprise. Uh, I think it's really funny. Like basically I had to give Josh lost boys to do vampires pretty much. <laughs> that, was, that was his fucking negotiating chip right there. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love that movie. You know, as, as I said before, you know, favorite vampire movie, but, uh, you know, top 10 movie of all time for me easily. Vampires is one of those things that I have been into as far back as I can remember, just like slashers. I mean, that was, if you think about it, my two big things were always slashers and vampires, right? Yeah. And almost every Halloween you've known me, I've either been Michael Myers or a vampire. <laughs> yeah. And see, and that's what's funny is like, you know, as kids, everybody goes through the phase like I, I was a vampire for Halloween one year and I had the plastic teeth and whatever. But then you were the asshole. It's like, no, check this shit out, man. I found these. You mold them. You put them on and all this jazz. <laughs> yeah. I had so many Halloween costumes where I was just wearing all black with these fucking fangs attached to my teeth <laughs> and goddamn pale goth makeup on from Hot Topic and I figured I'd do my makeup pretty decent, though. See, you could have been a trendsetter if you would have just wore that shit to school. <laughs> no, I refuse. <laughs> um, but yeah, vampires, have they've always been kind of like a part of, of life for me since I got into horror early. Um, my mom says she actually did me up as Dracula for my first Halloween. Okay. She like even painted a widow's peak on. Okay. But I mean, I wouldn't remember that. <laughs> Obviously, I just think it's kind of ironic. But uh, I started reading early on. You know that I've always been like a real big into novels. And I remember uh, getting in trouble in grade school on two occasions. So in second grade, there was a book. They actually made a shitty movie out of it. But the book's called My Friend the Vampire. Okay. Okay. Fucking love that book. And it was actually pretty thick. It was um, more advanced than you're supposed to read in, a second, in second grade. Gotcha. And I remember getting pulled aside because I could read it at a, at a much higher level and stuff. So they, they okayed me to get books out of a different section of the library. And I found My Friend the Vampire. And it was designed for kids, but it was a decent thickness for like a, a second grader. Okay. And I checked it out several times in a row. And uh, they, they called me in with a guidance counselor with my teacher. <laughs> and there was two problems with it. Like they were wanting to know if it was taking me that long to read. Did they need to, to bump my reading level back down? And then I surprised them with, no, I, I've read it three times. I enjoy the book that much. Okay. So like, I just kept rereading it every month when I had to check out a book. And then um, I always think back to like the first season of Buffy. But for some reason, the uh, my grade school, the horror or it wasn't even in the horror section it was in the non-fiction section they had this awesome like uh lord mythology and it made me think okay. like buffy when the vampire book gets slapped down on the first episode on the counter yeah 
And um, that's when I was talking, we were talking about one of the werewolf episodes. I was like, that artwork's actually from an old Native American piece, blah, blah, blah. I knew it from one of those books. Gotcha. So I got called in like closer to like fifth or sixth grade for getting all these vampire mythos books and werewolf mythos books. Maybe the, mainly the vampire ones, because they probably thought something was wrong with me. (laughs) (laughs) While we're on the subject of uh, vampires and books, um, for me, it was around the same time and being that young, it was Benicula. Okay, I remember that. So yeah. you remember that? Okay, so we had the vampire bunny that sucked the juice out of, out of uh, vegetables and shit. And they had to stick it with toothpicks. Yeah, and then uh, I got onto the celery stalks at midnight, and I just couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> but uh, now I remember e- even growing up, like coming over to your house, and you'd be watching Buffy or or later on Angel, and I'm like, oh god, teen teen drama, I can't do this. Well, that was even older though. That was yeah. late teens, almost twenties, watching those because I didn't get into those till like most of the seasons were out already. Yeah, and I had the collections or whatever. But we used to watch some vampire movies as a kid. Some we're going to discuss today, actually. Definitely. You were more into it going on, and uh, I guess I, I just dipped my toe in and out of it. Now, we'll talk about a movie later that, <laughs> that made me go back and appreciate some of the things we just talked about a little bit more and watch all of them. I just think it's fantastic that I was so overzealous that I couldn't make a decision, and we're doing two vampire episodes back to back. I mean, there will be a Werewolves 2 down the road eventually. And the thing is, I actually I have some vampire movies that I still wanted to put on here, and I didn't. Oh, really? Dracula 2000 is actually fantastic. See, that's the one that the wife always gives me shit about. She's like, you know, this is a really good movie. It's I don't fantastic. know why it gets shit on so much. And I, she's got the little box set. And I'm like, <laughs> did Wes Craven do all three of these? I don't, I think he just did the first one. <laughs> that's what I, yeah. I need to read. First it one's to the good out. one. I'd yeah. watch it. I'd watch it if you hadn't. The one with Hyde in it. Yeah. Yeah. He's not in it very long. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> For our first movie, though, I feel like I need to cover one that was very near and dear to me growing up. 1985, I was three when it came out, so I saw it sometime a little after that, but Fright Night. Welcome to Fright Night. This movie, I mean, it just kind of had everything for me, and it was Tom Holland, when you see interviews with him, he said that he wanted to make a love letter to horror fans. Yeah. He wanted to make a love letter to vampire fans. He wanted to save the vampire genre because it was like just in the fucking shitter, getting overdone. And... He wanted to make a movie that like was his dream as a teenager to be a horror fan, just living an everyday normal life as a teenager and something horrific happened to you, like a vampire moving next door. And what the fuck do you do? I got to get Vincent Price or Peter Cushing to come help me. <laughs> and that's how we got Peter Vincent. Yeah. He put the two names together. Yep. And that was me because I was that weird, got into horror stuff at like kindergarten or first grade. And that was me growing up being the weird horror guy. And I wouldn't say I'm Evil Ed. I would say I'm a nice mix on Charlie and Evil Ed there. <laughs> I really feel like he made a fucking movie for me. And this was Tom Holland's first movie. Did you know that? I didn't know it was his first. Yeah, pre-Child's Play and everything. It's the first okay. thing. Like, they wanted a more experienced director to do it. And he's like, I got this. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and, man, I watched the You're So Cool Brewster documentary. It seems like Tom Holland's actually a bit of a hard ass to work for. Oh, really? Gentle giant in the interviews. But, like, when you when you hear he's like, no, no, no. You did what now? Like, I remember... uh I'll get into the movie in a minute, but uh, William Ragsdale or Bill Ragsdale, I don't know what he goes by, but Charlie, yeah. uh, Charlie Brewster, apparently they were doing the scene where they're walking down the alley and they ran out of alley to walk into. So they stopped and he goes and cut and Tom Holland like ripped his ass and told him that he does not get the call cut, but he's like, I never did it again, but I was just being funny because we walk into a wall. <laughs> but then when you hear him talking, he's just such a kind soul and you can tell I don't know. I always say this. You can tell the the horror films made by a horror fan. Yeah. Right? And, and this is definitely the case of that. It certainly is. A couple of interesting facts I found out. 
I don't know like how serendipity kicked in for this. And this is one of those movies that regularly every cast and crew member uses the phrase lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Like just constantly. And like uh apparently they were doing um location scouting for quite some time and they were having a hard time finding like the Victorian house they wanted to use for Jerry and the suburban house and, and this, this, this and that. And then I don't remember how one of them ended up on the Disney back lot, but there was a Victorian house next to a suburban house next to a church. Okay. So it was Jerry's house, Charlie's house, and they put a preschool sign in front of the church because they don't think Jerry would move that close to a church. <laughs> okay, so you had like your whole set right there. They were literally all three buildings from next door. Now, they didn't use the preschool, but when the when you see like uh, Charlie pull up in his Mustang that he's working on, yeah, um, you, you see him drive back past the preschool. Okay. But it was literally, they were pre-built. Now they gutted the inside and built yeah. them the way they needed for the film. But, you know... Tom Holland, I don't know if this was genius on his part or laziness, but once he had the cast, the principal cast members picked out and they had their characters and they knew their names and a little bit about them, he sent them all home to write the entire biography of the characters. Oh, wow. And then they had to use that. So like, Charlie's into cars. He likes to work on cars. Yeah. So they got him a Mustang that's like primer painted and stuff. They never mentioned that he's working on cars. Yeah. That was just something. Um, Chris Sarandon, hardcore, got into it. He started doing research on bats because like vampires had to come from bats, right? He found out that bats eat fruit all the time. Like he said, nine out of 10 bats eat fruit. Yeah. So that's why Jerry eats fruit throughout the whole movie to cleanse his palate of blood because bats eat fruit. And he wrote that in. Okay. I always wondered about that. Yeah. Cause you know, normally vampires get sick when they eat like real food. Exactly. Well, he's a, he's a bat, which they usually eat all types of fruit out in the wilderness. So when he drinks blood, it's his palate cleanser. He's a fruit bat. Chris Sarandon wrote that himself. He also decided that the reincarnation of Amy. Because okay. Chris wrote the biography. He's like, Tom, I don't think that Jerry's a bad guy. I think he's a vampire. And I think he has to live off of blood and he travels. And that's, I think he would give Charlie a choice. And I don't think he would want to kill Charlie. But if he has to, to survive, he's got to do what he's got to do. Okay. And he's like, so I need a reason for him to go after the kids. So how about Amy is the reincarnation of his love? Gotcha. So like, you know what I mean? So like, that was Chris Sarandon. That wasn't Tom that did that when he wrote. No shit. And this is, it's like Scream. This is one of those movies that they did the mix of horror and comedy and blended it perfectly, I feel. Yeah. That's going to happen a couple times tonight, you know. <laughs> but without further ado, let's get into our movie. We open up, you hear like a vampire or a woman and, and a man talking, but it's clearly a vampire situation and seduction going on. Yeah. And the camera's panning down like a neighborhood street and you see a house for sale. And then it goes into the window of this nice little suburban home. And it goes in and you see a couple making out on the bed and the vampire conversation is on the TV. Yeah. And Peter Vincent, who you find out it is, is younger on the TV. And he's, it's so fucking campy because the woman's a vampire and she's going to bite the guy. And he comes in, he's like even holding the steak backwards. Yeah. And they said it was so fun, like recording the scenes because they had to record a movie and then they had to record like a sub movie to go in the movie with all these fake scenes. And while they're supposed to be making out, Charlie's pretty interested in watching this Fright Night show. Yeah. And then his girlfriend kind of stops him. Charlie stop or something like that. And he gets angry with her. He's like, it's all over here, you know, cause he's trying to get laid and she's not having any of it. And then, uh, she starts taking her shirt off and stuff. And she's, she's gonna, she's finally ready to make the move. And he hears something outside and pulls up the binoculars. Right? Yep. And he, he's watching the neighbors move into the house and she's like, Charlie, I'm ready. And she's in her bra and stuff. And, um, if, if you've never seen the movie before, it's Amanda Bierce, who was the sister on uh, Married with Children for like 10 plus years. Yeah, the well, she was the neighbor. 
Was it the neighbor? Okay. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, I think it was Peggy's sister. I haven't yeah. watched it in forever. Yeah, yeah. But okay, she, that's the neighbor. Yeah, she's the neighbor, and they make fun of her when she's going to get married. Their name's going to be Marcy Darcy, and that's <laughs> what I was going to say about it. It's like, it's really weird, man, because I don't find her hot or anything. Like, she's she's very, very, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. She's, like, very average. But so in, they wanted a normal a girl next door. Interesting thing, she was 27 when they made this movie. Okay. Playing a 16-year-old. And she went in to read for it, and she was, like, looking around. She's like, I'm not going to do this. And then she got to the part of the script, like, the dance scene. And Tom Holland's apparently very specific in his screenplay writing. And I'll get to that when we get there. But when she saw that she had to be a woman for part of the movie, she's like, I got this in the bag. Oh, okay. So, like, Tom Holland thought almost all of this out from the get-go, which is fucking fantastic. But I've rambled enough. So, she's trying to get him to crawl back in bed, but he's more interested with the neighbors, who he sees carrying a coffin in. Yep. And he says something about the neighbors are carrying a coffin and Amy's looking at the TV and there's a horror movie with a group of guys carrying a coffin and she's like picking on them. Oh, are they doing this? Is it foggy outside? And, uh, and she just gets mad, throws her shirt on, runs downstairs. Right. And Charlie yep. has to chase her down. And the mom's like, are you, are you guys having a lover squirrel? Cause the mom <laughs> is fantastic with all three minutes of screen time. She has in yeah. this movie. But we cut to the next day and Charlie rolls up in his Mustang that he's been working on. And we see just a drop dead gorgeous woman get out of the taxi yeah. that is implied to be a, a sex worker. <laughs> and she wants to make sure she's at the right house. And he's checking her out and like drooling as she walks in. <laughs> and that night he's working on homework, I think. And there's like a playboy on the floor and all sorts of shit. And uh, he hears a blood curdling scream come from the window next door. Right. So you would just assume that the sex worker has been killed. And the next day at school, you're introduced to Ed he calls evil ed and he's not a fan of that and uh <laughs> they're watching the news because i got the news on in tv and there's been two women found murdered in the past two days yep so there's like a serial killer on the loose right so he thinks something's up with that but the movie kind of cuts to the next night and charlie's back doing his normal teenager thing in the bedroom again and uh, <laughs> this might actually be the scene of the playboys on the floor i just remember he's got but oh no no he's asleep in the chair with the binoculars it's very like rear window okay and he hears something and he wakes up and he sees his neighbor, Jerry, who's fucking Chris Sarandon, who is fantastic in this movie, um, with an attractive redhead woman undressing her, popping the bra off, boobs come out. And he's like, oh, yeah. And he's watching through the fucking binoculars and he pops fangs out and bites her on the neck and he catches Charlie watching him. Yep. And you see these like extended fingers with the claws come and grab the blinds. So Jerry, the vampire next door, knows what's up. <laughs> So uh, Charlie decides to do what any smart 16-year-old kid would do and crawl outside and go spy on the vampire, right? Yeah, right. That's I logical. Think, I think he tells his mom, but she's like, what are you talking about? She's yeah. on do you want one of my Valium? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. She's, she's always on Valium, and the, you know that comes into play later, too. He's the detached parent. But he's spying outside, and uh, I believe you see, this, you see Billy carrying, like a Billy, Jerry's roommate, carrying a body bag, and they put it in a car, and they drop the purse, right? And they pick the purse up. Yeah. And then the mom comes out and she's like, Charlie, are you out there? And Jerry sees him in the bushes. And that's when he throws the whatever fruit that he's been munching on that he's like eating the core and everything out of. Okay. And uh, so Jerry really knows that Charlie's watching him and what's up at this point. And we cut to the normal school life of Charlie again, but he's trying to convince his mom and Amy that his neighbor's a vampire and they got to do something about it. The thing is crazy. He's 16. He loves horror movies, right? It's all in his head. Yeah. And he's like, I'm gonna have to go tell the cops about this. And and Amy's like, they're going to think you're crazy. And he's like, well, I don't have to tell him that he's a vampire. And that's uh, he rolls up at the house with Lieutenant Lennox. And uh, Billy was fantastic in the movie right here. Yeah. The actor's name is Jonathan Stark. And apparently he was part of a uh, improv comedy group. Okay. 
Yeah, and they got him, and the entire Lieutenant Lennox and Billy scene in the house right here, any funny thing he said was all improv. Okay. I mean, that's that's what they hired him for. So, But but he comes in with Lieutenant, and he's saying that, like, they killed a woman, and, and he wants to see Mr. Dandridge, and, and Billy's like, well, Jerry's not here, and this, 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 and that. And he's like, but he couldn't have done anything. We were alone. I was here with him all night. I'm his roommate. And Charlie's like, just matter of a fact, like, that's a lie. I saw him. He carried the body out in the bag. He's like, I took some trash out back. You want to see it? No. And then that's when Charlie's getting frustrated. And uh, he says, let's go check out the basement. And Billy's like, well, what's in the basement, Charlie? And Lieutenant's like, yeah, what's in the basement? And he's like, his coffin, because he's a vampire. <laughs> and Billy's like, ooh, and stuff like this. And and they're they're picking on, on Charlie. And that's when the detective's like, we're sorry to waste your time, Billy. And he pulls him out. And he's like, if I ever see your ass at the police station again, I'm locking you up in jail for life. Yep. And uh, so at this point, Charlie's kind of lost hope because the police can't help him. Right. And he knows that uh, Jerry's probably going to want revenge at night yeah. at this point because he brought the police to the house. So what's he do? He goes to evil Ed. I have a problem with the scene. So Ed's a little bit more like 80s, edgy, punk, goth. Yeah. And a horror. But they're both in the horror. Right. Charlie's supposed to be like a huge horror fan. That's his thing. And he's obsessed with Peter Vincent and Fright Night. He has to go to Ed to find out what's a vampire's weakness not to kill one. I know, right? I thought it was very poorly written there, but you get some good lines from Ed because that guy did not want the role. What's his name? Is it Stephen Joffreys? He actually he thought he was applying for the role of Charlie. Oh, okay. And they wanted to be Ed. He's like, I don't get it. I'm I'm kind of like this handsome, like, good guy. Why do I got to be the weirdo? And uh, he played it well, though. That's when he's like, you know, he doesn't want to help Charlie and he's making fun of him. And Charlie offers him some money. I don't remember how much it is. He's like, leave it to me to not accept a fool's money. Yeah. And for anyone who hasn't seen the movie, he's does this weird thing throughout the entire movie where it's like, he can't pull a grin off of his face. Yeah. And he's, oh, his delivery of everything is like, oh, yeah, I don't, you go on it. And it's almost too much at times, but you can tell that he's like, he's the fun guy of the group. There's it's, something a, a little character. off with him. Yeah. Well, what they were trying to get you to think is he's his only friend in the world is Charlie. And then Amy through extension of Charlie. And he has no one out there and he doesn't fit in. Yeah. That was supposed to be his thing. Well, it's it, their whole dynamic through the, between the three of them feels very similar to night of the creeps to me. Yeah. I could see that actually. But, uh, you know, he gets some information on Ed on what to do to protect himself from the vampire. And he's up in his room, and I don't remember exactly what he's doing, but his mom starts to call for him to come downstairs, all right? And he starts whistling, and he's skipping down the stairs. Funny story behind the scenes. They kept making him, or Tom kept making him redo the scene over and over again, and he wanted him to do it faster every time. Okay. And then the last time they went to go do it, he slipped and uh, fell. And they're like, oh, my God, I think he sprung his ankle, and the sound guy took his headphones off, and he's like, I just replayed it. That was a break. <laughs> like he heard the bone snap. Yeah. And he had to go to the hospital and he broke his foot. So they had, to, they had to like set back recording a couple of weeks. And then he had to record the rest of the movie in a cast. And they had like an insurance guy from the studio following him. Oh, because he told the doctor, he's like, oh, I feel so bad because I'm just sitting down while everybody does all the work. And then I'm just waiting on them. And I go in and they got back to the studio head. They had like an adjuster guy there that would follow him. And anytime he was slacking, he goes, you're costing us $100,000 a day right now. And he's like, I was a kid. This wasn't cool to me. You yeah. Know? But yeah, he broke his fucking ankle going down the stairs right there. No but anyways, shit. He runs down the stairs and the mom's like, I'd like you to meet our new neighbor, Jerry Dandridge. And then you see Chris Sarandon sitting in the chair, suave as fuck looking, right? <laughs> just hanging out. And uh, he's scared now because he had just found out from Ed that a vampire can't come in your house unless you invite him. Yeah. He's now been invited. And he's like, oh, it's so nice to meet you. And now that I've met your mother and she's invited me over, 
you'll be seeing a whole lot of more of me now that I yeah. can come over anytime I want. Yeah, he makes it a point to stick it to him right then. It's like, oh, it's on now, motherfucker. And they did a great job picking him, like yeah. Chris, for this role. Like he he has the look. He can do like the demeanor and the attitude, and he can be scary. Yeah, he can. He can be very charismatic in, in one aspect and then be very intimidating and in, in, at the same time. And this is fucking Prince Humperdinck from A Princess Bride. <laughs> and he's also, don't forget, he's Detective uh, Mike Norris in yeah. Child's Play, right? So, I mean, yep. he's, but that was after this, right? So, he, he was a good actor. He was like a theatrical actor, so it's interesting. He said that he, I think he just won some awards, both for like Broadway and acting. Okay. And he got the script because they wanted him. And he looked at the cover and he's like, fucking Fright Night. And he's like, I can't do a horror movie right now in my career. And he said it took like two pages. And he's like, I got to do this. I got to do this. So it's really funny that he like, I mean, like horror was technically at that point of his career beneath him. He went in and did it anyways. But so Charlie's really fucked though at this point because Jerry can now come over whenever he wants. And it's nighttime, obviously. So his mom goes to bed with her uh, blindfold on and her Valium that we're now aware that she takes. And, um, it's really cool how they do the POV shots of Jerry. Yeah. Cause you'll see like something running on the roof and then jump and it makes this noise. Like when he's a bat, sometimes you see the shadow of the bat. It's done really well. And he comes in the mom's room, walks past a mirror. Apparently they couldn't get past how to not have the camera and shit in his reflection in the mirror. Okay. So what they did is they put blue in the mirror frame. Oh, okay. Filmed him walking by and then filmed the empty mirror and then took it off and just filmed the mirror and then just did uh with compositing and just stuck it on top yeah. of it. It's actually pretty ingenious because the special effects in this movie, it wasn't a big studio and there was actually a lot of people with the prominent names was Richard Edlin was the like special effects producer. Okay. And he did like star Wars and Indiana Jones and oh, shit no like shit. that, but he was like the boss. Right. And okay. then the main special effects guy was Steve Johnson and he did like ghostbusters and stuff before this, but oh. he was like a real big up and coming. He invented a lot of shit for this movie and he was constantly like wanting to try to like one up Rick Baker with special effects I saw. And he also contributes a lot of his work to cocaine. Oh, okay. <laughs> he said cocaine was a big part, but he came up with some unique shit. I'll try to remember to mention the special effects that he did um, uniquely as they come up. But so that was one of their ideas, you know, and that was probably like another, cause there's so many people that did special effects on this movie, no. but he goes in, he breaks the mom's door into the door jam so that she can't come out. And he goes into Charlie's room, scares the shit out of Charlie and uh, attacks him in the room. And he's like banging him in the drywall and he's picking him up by his throat. And he's kicking his ass. Yeah. And, and um, he tells Charlie's and give him the one thing he never had a choice. And he's yeah. like, you can forget that I'm here. Forget what you've seen. Just let me live my life and I'll let you live yours. And while he's talking, Charlie grabs a pencil and rams it through Jerry's hand. And Jerry does this weird spinning screaming thing. Yeah. And he has multiple vampire forms they made. So this is his more not just the things and the eyes. This is like the brow and stuff's coming out a little bit. It's like level two. Yeah. And he's pretty <laughs> mad. And he yanks the pencil out and he's going to kill Charlie at this point. But yeah. then the mom wakes up. Why is he scared to not just, I guess if he killed like the, both of them in the house, it would uh, bring suspicion. Yeah. Especially since the police are just his house. Exactly. That day, right. But with Charlie, he was, he was going to throw him out the window onto uh, the fence post. So he commit suicide. Then it looks like oh, he's yeah. crazy. His mom doesn't believe him. His friends don't believe him. He shows up with a crazy story with the police. And then he committed suicide, right? That would work. But can't kill the mom. So then he leaves the house and uh, he calls him and Charlie answers the phone and he can see Jerry's like, I'm watching. You oh, yeah. Because he won't talk. And Billy's trying to, to fix the pencil in his hand. Really funny thing. I guess apparently a lot of people brought up a lot of like homoerotic stuff between Billy and Jerry. Yeah. That was never like written in there to be like undertones, supposedly. 
Like it wasn't specifically stated. Um, Chris Sarandon and uh, the actor that played Billy were both like, we didn't really think about it ever. And they never said it. But he remembers when, when he was supposed to be fixing, cleaning the blood off his hand. Tom's like, I want you to get on your knees. And he's like, oh, okay, I'm subservient. So he does that. And yeah. then he watched the movie and he's like, oh, because where his head's at and everything. I never, th- if they would have never said that, I would have never thought that. That particular scene, um, I, my brain went there. Oh, okay. Mine didn't. But the rest of it, no, because it's just like, you know, are you a servant? Are you a familiar? What's going on here? So I didn't, my brain didn't go there immediately, but it's like nightmare two. And then yeah. you go back and watch it after the fact and you're like, fuck, how did I not see this before? Um, that one really gets me. <laughs> um, it, it, I mean, and there, there's like a scene like later in the movie where Jerry gets held off by a cross and then Billy swats the cross out and he like leans on his shoulders. But I just got like yeah. they're best friends and known each other for a couple hundred years yeah. kind of thing. Right. There was so, nothing overtly homosexual but but apparently in that scene there was supposed to be to be funny okay but uh he, he Back tells, when it was okay to be funny <laughs> but he tells charlie he's gonna fucking kill him now he's yeah. gonna kill him the next night and uh at this point he has nowhere to turn to and he's freaking out and he goes to hang up the phone and fright night comes on tv right and he's like oh my god i'll go to peter vincent he's the fucking greatest vampire slayer there ever was yeah. so he shows up at uh at the studio lot and here comes peter vincent angry with a box of his shit because he's just been fired because nobody cares about vampires anymore. Yep. Which is kind of a, a good retelling of what was actually happening in the 80s at that point. Yeah. And he uh, he can tell he's got a diehard fan here. So he's trying to appease the fan. And he's like, did you mean what you said last night? That vampires are real? And he's like, of course I did. And this, this, and that. And he's like, well, good. Because I want those next door to me. And I need you to help me come fucking kill him. <laughs> and that's what he's like. And this guy's crazy. Let me get my taxi here. And, and he pieces out. Right. Yeah. So at this point. Charlie is just full of despair because nobody fucking believes him. Not even Peter Vincent. Ed and Amy come over to see Charlie and I fucking love this scene. I don't know where he got all this shit, but there are fucking crosses all over his room. There is garlic hanging everywhere in his fucking room and he's sharpening fence posts with stakes, right? Yeah. He's going to war. <laughs> he is. He is the overachiever, overachiever of protecting his ass from vampires. <laughs> I mean, what would you think about it though? What Tom Holland was trying to do. Think of you or I when we were oh, yeah. 16 and a vampire next door. Nobody believed us. I would have done the same shit. Oh, hell fucking. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't do the uh, little eighties montage of him getting holy water. I don't like the Catholic <laughs> church. Though. I was a little disappointed, but they, they pretty much decide that he's off his fucking rocker at this point. Yeah. And, uh, he says he even went to Peter Vincent and Amy's like, I got an idea. We'll go talk to Peter. Promise. You won't go do anything stupid. Son's not going down for a little bit. Yeah. And he promises cause he loves Amy. Right. So Amy and Ed go to uh, Peter Vincent's apartment and he's like trying to quickly clean up and stuff like, cause he's got fans here. He just looked at his eviction notice. Yeah. Like he's in bad shape and they come in he's like, Oh, is this for your school newspaper? Blah, blah, blah. I always do anything for a fan. And, uh, that's when they're like, do you remember like a fruitcake named Charlie Brewster coming by? I think Ed says it. And he's like, yeah, your friend's deeply disturbed. And then Amy looks down and he realizes it's like her boyfriend. Yeah, And they're like, uh, Ed's like, I got an idea. How about you come over and we do a vampire test on Jerry? Cause clearly he's not a fucking vampire <laughs> and, uh, fucking then Charlie will have to believe you. Cause you're Peter Vincent. And he's like, I don't, I don't want to do that. She's like, I have a $500 bond. And he says that he's like, sold, yep. you know? So they call Jerry's house and it's right as sunset and he's waking up and he's yawning. He's eating his apple, right? Yep. <laughs> or whatever the fuck he's eating. And Billy answers the phone and he, he tells, uh, Jerry what's going on. And Jerry's like, this is great. We don't, they're going to come to us. And he gets on the phone and uh, you can't see both sides of the conversation. We can see Jerry's and he's like, oh, or it will cut back and forth. Yeah. And Ed's like, well, apparently he just found Christ or something. 
And he thinks it'd be sacrilegious if we did anything on the cross. Yeah. And he's like, okay. They bring up holy water. And he's like, well, that'd be sacrilegious also. And it's like, well, it's just going to be regular tap water, man. And he's like, okay, if it's tap water and this, 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 and that. And they show up. And I don't know why, but Trolley decided to dress up in like his blazer and stuff. Like, cause he's going to dinner at Jerry's or something. <laughs> and they go next door and they're talking. And, and Trolley's kind of being an ass about him being a vampire and stuff. And everybody's like, stop it. Cause they're a little embarrassed. And this is when, uh, Jerry notices Amy looks like, um, oh, I forgot to mention that when, when Charlie was in the house with Lieutenant Lennox, he's going through Jerry's shit and there's a painting yeah. and he's like, Amy, cause it looked a lot like her. Right. So Jerry's figured this out at that point and they, you know, Charlie just wants to get on with it and gives him the holy water and he holds it by the fire. I don't know what that was supposed to do. It was like, he was like checking it in some way. Right. Yeah. Or maybe he was just like praying in his own way. Right. <laughs> and he chugs the water and the nothing happens. Hell protect me. And Charlie's like, that, there's no way that was holy water. And that's when, you know, Peter Vincent does his Irish accent on, uh, I just watched Father blah, blah, blah at the parish. Bless it myself. You yeah. know, this, this, and that. And uh, they're trying to get Charlie out of the house because he's being an ass. And I don't know why, but Peter decides to pull out this prop that he showed Ed and Amy earlier that he used in a movie that was a mirror to check for a vampire. Yeah. And he opens it and Jerry doesn't have a reflection. Exactly. So he freaks out and he drops it. And they're like, what's wrong? And he's like, oh, nothing. And he picks it up, but he doesn't realize he left a shard of glass on the ground. Yep. So Jerry and, and Billy think this is kind of over now because nobody believes Charlie. And they're leaving. And as soon as they walk out, Jerry steps on the shard of glass and breaks it. He knows that everybody knows he's a fucking vampire now. So Peter won't let on that he knows, but Charlie can tell something's up. And, and Peter goes his own way. Yeah. And uh, they decide that they need a. Ed and Charlie decide they need to walk Amy home together and Ed's being kind of a dick and he runs off and he screams like he's in trouble and they come and he's acting like he got bit. He's like, I don't want to give you a hickey Brewster and stuff like that. And, uh, they get fucking mad at him and Ed goes his own way. Well, Ed's walking down an alley and he starts getting chased by Jerry and this fucking, I mean, for the eighties, man, this is, this is Rico Suave as like a motherfucker, <laughs> like this trench coat supposed to be a Dracula out, you know, cape and everything. Yeah. It just worked for the time. And he keeps appearing behind Ed, no matter which way he goes. And he pins him down in a dead end. And he's like, I know what it's like to be an outcast and not be liked. And, and this, 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 and that. And he's like, I can give you something. Nobody will ever make fun of you again. And Ed accepts it. Like he's sick of being picked on. He wants to be a fucking vampire. Yeah. Gives himself to Jerry. And I like, I mean, it's cheesy, but cool how he does the trench coat around him to bite yeah. him. It's very throwback to Dracula, though. It like, Bella goes see with the cape. So Ed's a fucking vampire at this point now, right? And they hear the screaming, and Amy and Charlie are like, oh, he's just fucking with us again. And they start walking. And I'm a little confused here because apparently Charlie lives in the burbs. But apparently you got to walk through downtown the hood to get to Amy's house. <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's an interesting neighborhood setup for them to go to the same school. Yeah. But they're walking to down, through downtown New Mexico or where the fuck they're at. I don't actually know what state it's in. I only said New Mexico is the remake. But um, Jerry starts chasing them, and they end up going into a nightclub. And this Sexy dance. It is a sexy dance. These <laughs> scenes kind of go on simultaneously. Evil Ed shows up at Peter Vincent's house yep. and lets him in. Uh, Peter lets him in, and Ed vamps out on him. And Peter ends up having to fucking crucifix his forehead, and it burns him. Yeah. Right? And he retreats. So... These kind of go on simultaneously, but Charlie and Amy are being chased by Jerry to this nightclub and Jerry basically mesmerizes yeah. Amy to dance with him. And they wanted Tom Holland was to be a very sexy dance. He was very picky on the music. Chris Randon 
says that this gets brought up to him all the time still. Like this was like just like the sexiest thing for men and women, right? <laughs> and they do this dance. But this was Tom Holland's idea. The most interesting thing is like Amy had like hair clips in and like little curly hair and no makeup on, right? Yeah. As they start dancing and you know, she starts going along with the dance more and more as it goes. When he spins her one time, she spins around and the hair clips are gone. And then she has a little bit of makeup on. And then the final twirl, she has no makeup on and her hair's done really nice. And she looks a lot older and she's gone from being a girl to a woman. Yeah. And that scene. And it was, I don't know if it's supposed to be like reuniting her with the reincarnation form of herself or just like the, the mesmerization, but she's ready to leave a Jerry. Yep. And the bouncers can tell that something's up. Like Charlie's panicked and they try to stop Jerry. He slits one of the bouncers throats and fucking throws his body. Yeah, And then he picks the other one up, which was a giant motherfucker. And he basically just crouched on some phone books and then stood up, <laughs> you know, and, and threw him. And, and Jerry gets away with, um, with Amy and Charlie has to go to Peter Vincent again. Yeah. Peter's scared to let him in, makes him touch the cross and everything. And Peter won't help him until he's like, they got Amy. Yeah. I need you to help me go get Amy. And at that point he decides he's going to have to be the hero and you go, right. So he's got his revolver. He's got his stakes. He's got his crucifix. He's got his holy water. They're going to go in and get her. And uh, somewhere in here, we see Jerry in his house with Amy waking up. And she's in like that Bride of Dracula, like white, sexy dress yeah. thing. And he puts on some sexy music. And he's, you know, shirtless. And it looks like there's gonna be like a little make out sex scene. He bites her on the shoulder for some reason. Yeah, like way over on the shoulder. <laughs> it happens. Okay. <laughs> so she's bit. And then he's, uh, him and Billy are like preparing her coffin with dirt in the basement. And he hears... Charlie and uh, Peter arrive. Yeah. He's like, we have guests or something, right? And you get some of those like stalking scenes where you can hear him as a bat flying around the house. And he's watching him through the window. And this is one of my favorite scenes. He he flies in and he comes down the staircase. He's like, welcome to Fright Night. Yeah. For real. <laughs> it's fucking fantastic. I love it. And um, so Charlie repels Jerry with, with the crucifix and oh, and getting away. And, the, and then Billy just comes in out of frame and, and slaps the cross out of Charlie's hand and, and throws him down the staircase, right? Yeah. Peter says, fuck this and runs because <laughs> he's a coward again. And he goes next door. And he's like, Mrs. Brewster, I guess he's trying to save the mom. Yeah. And he goes in the room. And there's somebody sleeping in the bed. He, <laughs> he moves the covers and it's fucking vamped out evil Ed with the cross burned in his forehead with a Raggedy Ann wig on for some reason. I know. If you guys aren't old enough to know what Raggedy Ann is and Raggedy Andy or whatever, it's fucking red yarn hair. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And he's like, she left a note. Dinner is in the fridge. And uh, Peter runs and he turns into a wolf, like an actual yep. wolf. And Peter falls through a table. So he's got a broken table leg and he impales Ed in the heart when he dives on him as a wolf and throws him over the balcony. Yep. And you got this cool scene of the chandelier that he fell through swinging. So they can use light to play with it a lot. And the wolf crawls under the stairwell and you get this D transformation scene. Fucking beautifully done. I thought, yeah, 18 hours in the makeup chair for that actor. <laughs> okay. And he like wolfs back out into vamp form and then turns back into Ed form and dies in Vincent's arm arms. Yeah. And they're both crying and it's actually kind of a touching scene. Yeah. It's, it's really slow and painful and I don't mean it's slow and painful for him. I mean, it's like, you're like, fuck man, we just lost a, a human. Yeah. You know, you, you really feel that. This was also a turning point for Peter though. Cause he's now killed a vampire. He now is Peter Vincent vampire slayer. Yeah, he is. I got to go save Charlie and Amy. <laughs> Meanwhile, next door, Jerry carries fucking Charlie's limp body and throws him on the floor next to Amy. And he's like, here she is. And he throws a stake on the ground. He's like, you're going to need this before sunrise. <laughs> and he locks the door and he's leaving. And uh, 
you get this horrific scene for Charlie because he's trying to wake Amy up and she's her eyes have changed. Her hair's getting longer and she has fangs. Yep. And he screams and it just cuts to Jerry with this diabolical smile on his face because he knows what's happening. And I don't remember where he goes in the house, but Peter sneaks back in, makes Charlie make a bunch of noise like Amy's killing him so he can break the door open. And Jerry starts to stalk them through the windows again. No. And he ends up coming into the uh, the stairwell again. The stairwell is like a big part of this house. And uh, all the cuckoo clocks start going off, right? So the sun's coming, and he's got to get Time this down. I kind of glossed over it, but just before this, Billy tries to stop them. And they shoot him in the forehead with a revolver. He falls oh, down the stairs. Yeah. And uh, that's when Peter Vincent tries to crucifix him. And that's when you go to have faith. Okay. And then he does have faith and it works the second time. But then he sees Billy getting up and he acts like he's scared and leaves. So then they have to shoot the fuck out of Billy with a revolver. And then they stake him. And then he just kind of melts. Yeah. And they did the effect really cool. It's different layers like wax. And they just put a fucking heat thing on it and melted yeah. him. And um, yeah, Indiana Jones style. And then he explodes and burns and all this. And so he could go out in the daylight. So I guess he's like a ghoul or something or a half vampire. And that's what I wondered watching the movie again was what exactly was this fucker based on how they killed him? On your so cool Brewster, Tom Holland said, if you fucking figure out what he was, he'd love to know. <laughs> okay. Like he just wrote the scene that way. Like gotcha. he's not a full vampire. He doesn't know if he's a ghoul. He doesn't know if he's like a familiar. He doesn't know if he's a half vampire. And we don't know the full lore. We could be waiting for his first kill. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so okay. He, he was just, he was Jerry's best friend and protector. Yeah. And, and that's all it was. But they're coming up the stairs and, you know, they're having a speech with Jerry and the cuckoo clocks in the house start going off, which we saw earlier in the movie denotes sunrise or sunset. Yeah. And you can see through the window in the background. I'm sure it's like a matte painting when the sun's coming up and Jerry freaks out a little bit. And he, uh, it's a really cool scene how they did it. Like, do practical if you can, but do as much off screen that you can. That's what yes. the special effects guy said for a transformation. So you see Jerry run and you see him dive like a diver off the staircase. And then the camera pans ahead of him and you can see a shadow falling and the shadow turns into a vampire bat. Yep. It's fucking really cool. Attacks. I think it bites Charlie on the arm, which would that have turned him? That's one of those things, man. When you get into these movies and the lore and what's the lore in that universe, shit's all over the place. Well, if you kill the vampire that bit you before you turn, though, you're human, as we'll see soon. So that he Charlie would have been saved either way. Yeah. But it bites Charlie, and it goes to attack Peter and knocks him down, and he grabs like a stake and rams it in his mouth, in the bat's mouth. Apparently, he ripped the top half of the puppet's head off when they filmed it, <laughs> and it took them days to fix the puppet to do the scene because he broke the fuck out of it. That's the funny shit. And... um. He has to retreat and he goes down in the basement. So Peter and Charlie follow him down there and they can't find his coffin. But Amy follows them down as well. And they're separated. I guess this basement's as big as the house because they get separated pretty far. Yeah. So two things are happening simultaneously. Peter Vincent finds a secret room with the coffin in it while Amy has dialogue with Charlie. And she has like the vampire eyes now. She has long flowing red hair. And fangs, I guess when you, and she's got bigger breasts, they made prosthetic breasts for her. Yeah. And I guess like, it's just, you're supposed to just become more attractive when you're a vampire to be a predator. Funny thing is they're out of money for special effects and Tom Holland wanted her to have these shark teeth. He wanted the reveal to be scary. Yeah. So he didn't even want Charlie Brewster or he didn't want William Ragsdale to know what was going on. He wanted her to look down and then, you know, they'd cut and they do the effects and then just scare everybody. So he goes to the special effects guy and he says, look, I need you to make something for free. It doesn't have to look great. It's only going to show on scene for on screen for one second. I want this giant shark teeth. So they made her this giant. It, it's a mouth thing. They just glue on her. Okay. 
Well, Tom Holland loved it so much, he just used it for the rest of the scene. I was going to say, and that became the iconic imagery of this fucking movie, is it's, her in that getup. It's the poster. Yep. It's everything. But she has this giant mouth, and it's shark, it is shark teeth. And she's like a predator trying to chase Charlie down. Well, Peter gets the coffin open while Charlie's running for his life, and he tries to stake Jerry, right? And then Jerry does like the fucking Nosferatu float up thing in pain. Yeah. And they wanted to modulate the voice and do special effects, but like when they were filming it, the way Chris Sarandon would do that deep voice, that was just natural. Like he just did that as a theater act. I'm like, we're just okay. going to keep that shit. <laughs> and he's trying to kill him. He gets mad. He yanks the stake out, right? And he throws it and he hits the blacked out glass and sun comes through and they have like, just like fucking spotlights outside to do the spotlight, yeah. you know, to do the special effects. And Charlie and Peter realize that and they just start shattering the windows out and there's sunbeams coming in everywhere. And Charlie tackles Amy to protect her from the sun, right? And yep. then they get the last one, and Jerry fucking catches on fire and flies back into the wall. Cool behind-the-scenes thing here. Stunt double with the Jerry makeup on. The house was tilted, downward angle, so he could just fall oh, okay. onto a padded wall. They wanted him to, like, de-evolve into his, like, bat form or whatever. But they were out of money for the most part and didn't know how they were going to do it. The special effects guy worked on Ghostbusters, and the librarian ghost at the beginning was originally a big bird bat like thing yeah he made the whole get up and they decided not to use it so he just kept it oh no so, shit so he brought his original prototype from the ghostbusters librarian and covered it in sulfuric acid and some other chemical to make it burn that technically turns into nitroglycerin and that's why it blackens <laughs> and burns and they just did it. they had one shot and they did it and he fucking burns and explodes fucking awesome they've killed jerry <laughs> and amy's hair's normal now yeah her eyes are normal. The things are gone. She's flat chested again. But you can see that time's lapsed. The house is for sale again. Fright Night's on TV. Nope. Amy and Charlie are making out. I think they're on the bed this time and not the floor. One time they're on the bed. One time yeah, they're, they're on the floor. They're on the bed at the end. And uh, they both kind of look at the TV for a second. And uh, Peter Vincent says, instead of fighting vampires, he's had enough of that for now. He's going to fight invaders from space. Yeah. And he's like, isn't that right, Charlie? And winks at the camera. And they think it's all cool, and they turn the TV off. Charlie gets up turning the TV off because he's going to give his girl attention now. Yeah. And he thinks he sees two red eyes looking at him from outside. And then he double takes, and she's like, what is it? And he's like, oh, it's nothing. Because he's like over all this now. Apparently, it was supposed to be Evil Ed. And Tom Holland said it wasn't obvious enough. So that's why he re-added the, you're so cool, Brewster. Oh. But he got staked and died. So I don't know. Yeah. There's a Fright Night 2. I've only seen it once. I wasn't a huge fan of it. But it's implied that. I don't think it's implied. The The vampire is Jerry's sister, and she wants revenge on Charlie and Peter. Okay. And I just, in my head, I remembered the eyes, to me, were just his sister wanting revenge. Oh, okay. But Tom Holland wrote it, it's Evil Ed's still alive. That's fucking weird. I don't know. Original ending of the film, though, was supposed to be him hosting, Peter hosting Fright Night, just like he was, and then he fucking vamps out on screen. Oh, like on air and shit? Yeah, and then it ended, like just the credits rolled. Uh, they they swapped it to the end that right Charlie's a wink because they're um, they're like this is a happy fun movie we don't want to have a downer where Peter accidentally got bitten yeah that would have fucked up their mythos though because they would have killed the vampire that bit him right yeah but I mean it is a fucking fun movie and it, it was done right the special effects for their time were fucking fantastic yeah they did a great job like you said of like doing audio cues on and off camera and showing yes. just enough to let your mind create the illusion instead of having the money to just do it on camera. Right. And the movie was 80s, but it wasn't completely dated. Some of it is like yeah. a little bit of Jerry's clothes but it fit. Some of the music is a little bit, but the guy they got to to do the music and the score for the movie had just came off of doing Terminator. Like so he was big shit and they wanted him. Oh, okay. 
And uh, back then, soundtracks were a really big part of the studio making back some of their costs. Oh, yeah. So he had to do like all the background music, but then they had to actually get bands to write songs, including the fucking Fright Night theme song, which is one of the greatest fucking <laughs> horror movie theme songs of all time. It's like the Jay Giles band or something. I don't remember. So like they had to write all that shit, but it, they, they put a lot of work into it and it's dated where it had to be. And it's not where they could have saved it. And uh, the only other interesting thing I thought about it, the studio cut a trailer that made it look a hundred percent horror. Oh, okay. and if you, you can look it up online. It is a horror movie. They do not show a single comedy scene. And Tom Holland didn't like it. So he got the, his editor and they edited their own trailer and took it in the studio. It's like, we don't want it. This is our trailer. <laughs> this is how we're going to go. But I mean, it just, this is one of them that I watch constantly. I like the remake even. It's, I mean, is it the greatest fucking horror movie ever made? It probably would have been shit if the first one didn't exist, yeah. but it is a remake that works. Yeah. I felt like you got David Tennant in it as Peter Vincent. And yeah. uh, he's like, what, like a Chris Angel uh, fucking magician yeah. that does like this vampire slaying act. So he modernized everything really well. See, that's the thing that sucks. I've only seen the OG twice now for sure. Cause oh, I really? know we watched it back in the day. But you, and, uh, I, there's no way you didn't watch it with me. I fucking wore this one out. I know. And then rewatching it for the podcast. And then I know I watched the remake, but I've only seen the remake once. They did it clever. Um, it's in Las Vegas where people work night hours a lot. Oh, okay. So it makes sense for Jerry to, uh, he, he's supposed to be a construction worker and he can only work when this, the buildings are closed. That's his like yeah. cover. And uh, so it's, it's, it's not uncommon for people to have blacked out windows and sleep during the day. Okay. And he's like picking off like the go-go dancers and stuff that live in the neighborhood. Yeah. And he did a good job of being creepy. And Anton Yelton did a good job of being Charlie. I did not like McLovin as evil Ed, <laughs> um, but it, it was a fun movie. But I mean, this movie, Friday night, the original Friday night, I say is like bigger and, and more loved every year that goes on. It seems like it's bigger in the cons as it goes on. Okay. I mean, Shudder just made a fucking two and a half hour documentary on the movie because it's still that popular. Yeah. And it's just, it is one of those that developed a cult following and it pulled vampire films out of the fucking shitter in the eighties. It did. But as a vampire fan growing up in the eighties, Fright Night was not the only film that was there for me because <laughs> in 1987, Joel Schumacher brought us one of the fucking greatest. Actually, I would say it is the greatest vampire movie of all time fucking lost boys yeah and i agree with you on that one is probably the greatest one and uh this is one of the movies that survived the uh the jesus tapes um <laughs> of my father so i did get to see it back in the day and uh like you said it's uh it is it is and known as a joel schumacher film but there's some interesting things that happened behind the scenes on what was gonna go on and how it went down i'm gonna save all that for the end though okay so uh i'm gonna go through the movie here and uh we open with the beachfront boardwalk, the giant dipper, roller coaster, all this stuff. If you know the area, you already know what's being <laughs> shot because it's fucking Santa Cruz. Right. Santa Cruz said, you can film here. You can't use the name. Well, they were going to let him use the name, but they refer to it as the murder capital of the world. Yeah. Which it actually was called that at one point in time because of the amount of serial killers they had going through there. And they're like, no, if you're going to have all this fucking murder and reference it like that, you cannot use the well, name. It wasn't just that. There was another movie that was set there about a murderer. I fucking forget the name of the movie. But between those, they're like, yeah, you're not going to use the actual name. But anybody who knows the area knows that's what it is. But uh, we end up with a shot on this carousel and uh, we're introduced to what I'm going to call the boys. Yeah, because they're the lost boys as we talk about this. And uh they're kind of getting into a little bit of a scuffle with this couple. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's this cop that's like, hey, I thought I told you boys not to be here. Get out of here. Right. 
And uh, they all kind of leave. It's almost like a weird slow motion introduction to them. And uh, even though you're not getting names, the cop tells them to, you know, bugger off. Right. And uh, we end up seeing this overhead view coming down on the cop as mm-hmm. he approaches his car. And something yanks his fucking ass away, but he's still got a grip on the car door as it happens. And it rips the car door off right. as he goes away. And it was one of those things where if you don't have the money to have the actors flying and it not look cheesy, just do a POV shot. <laughs> exactly. And that gets used heavily in this film. So the next morning we get introduced to mom, Lucy, and the sons, Michael and Sam. Right. And uh, they're arriving in Santa Carla. And uh, as they're passing the sign, Michael turns around and looks and somebody spray painted on the back of it real big murder capital of the world. Yeah. And uh, we get a montage because we're still in the opening credit or actually we hit the opening credits at this point. And uh, they had invited in like goth kids and punk rock kids and like all these different people for this montage. So you basically you see the seedy underbelly that is the boardwalk (laughs) intercut with all these flyers of missing people. So this is probably a place we would have been hanging out if we were old enough. Exactly. Okay. Okay. And there's the one girl that's holding a rat and is like letting the rat lick her tongue. Really <laughs> fucking weird. The creepiest dude in that that turns towards the end of it that's got like a shaved head and the glasses and the hood on. Mm-hmm. He's like a roaming devout Christian. Yeah, yeah. There was nothing evil about this dude. That's just he's creepy looking. <laughs> um, but so they make it to Grandpa's house and uh, Grandpa's playing dead. On the fucking porch. <laughs> Grandpa's the best. He's awesome. Lucy gets him woke up and is like, what are you doing? He's like, playing dead. And from what I hear, pretty good. <laughs> or doing a pretty good job. And uh, he tells her that, you know, you're the only woman I've known in my life that didn't approve her station in life by getting divorced. Right. And so we quickly know that's what's going on. They're moving home. Or she's moving home with the boys. Grandpa goes over the rules. There's two important things that he, he goes over. And that's the... Uh, the second shelf on the refrigerator is the old fart shelf, and that's where he keeps his root beer and his double stuffed Oreos. I think he calls them double thick Oreos, and uh, that's his shelf. <laughs> and uh, nobody's allowed to go into the taxidermy room, right? Because he's got this creepy ass fucking room just filled with all these stuffed and mounted animals. <laughs> they pop up throughout the movie. He also goes on this tear about the TV guide, and if the labels peeled up a little bit on the corner, you'll be tempted to tear it off and don't. And it's like. Oh, great. You do have a TV. It's like, no, I don't. I got the TV guide. What do you need a TV for if you've got the TV guide? Yeah, because Corey Hames freaking out at the beginning. He's like, I don't see a TV anywhere, Michael. Do yeah. you see a TV? He's like, there's no TV. You know what that means? No MTV. <laughs> um, so 80s, right? So we cut to that night and uh, I'm laughing at my own notes here because it just says, I still believe with a lot of exclamation points. I saw that. I just gave up. So what we get is the uh, chain covered muscle greased up saxophone guy and uh on the beach doing uh doing the concert thing and, and i still believe yeah. and he's like fucking this this saxophone man he's so into it so i found out it was like tina turner or somebody's sax player well and he would I've purposely got, get like old up and like lift weights and shit so the pythons would be bigger well i've got all <laughs> that in here actually he had gotten strung out on drugs whoa okay and when he got clean he went hardcore with it and started working out. So okay. whenever he wanted to get fucked up, he would go work out instead. And uh, in the in the later comics, he's referred to as the Believer. And okay. he's actually a, a vampire hunter and all this shit. Okay. And uh, but no, it was really really neat. I saw a he did a, a horror con that I saw from three years ago. Okay. The guy's sixty. Okay. okay. In this, and he makes sense. Still muscle. Okay. Still wears the chains. Still has the ponytail, and still <laughs> fucks the hell out of that saxophone. <laughs> It's crazy. I always thought watching the movie growing up that he was just like some muscle 
extra dude that they're like, throw this guy up here and lip sync. But no, that's fucking him. <laughs> yeah, man. He's singing, he's playing, he's into it, and it's an iconic fucking scene of this yeah. movie. Well, this is where Michael sees Storm. Yeah. So he's kind of following her around the boardwalk and Sam's in tow. Like, what are you doing, Michael? You're after that girl, aren't you? Yeah. He, he sees her like eyeballing her, you know? Yeah. And at the same time, uh, Lucy, mom, I don't know which one I'm going to land on. We'll just say Lucy. Let's see if I can stay there. She wanders into the video store that, uh, where we're introduced to Max. Yeah. And, uh, so he owns the video store and cause he's asking, are you looking for this? Are you looking for that? He's like, you're not looking for a job. Are you right? He's right. Like, Do I really look that needy? And, uh, in the background, I think right there is when we see the girl, I forget her name, from Night Run Elm Street 4 or 5, who's in the opening credits and after editing was pretty much cut out of the entire movie. I did not know this fact. Don't know why this happened. I really wish I could remember her name. I should have wrote it down. Uh, interesting thing, though, they named her Lucy because of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes. So Lucy or Mom, we got to at least point that out once. So Mom's a hoe. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um <laughs> But at any rate, so the boys come into the video shop and Max is like, I thought I told y'all stay out of here and they leave. And there's another scene that was cut. I don't know if it was around this time or later on where they actually circle Lucy with the motorcycles and scare the hell out of her. Okay. And Max saves her, quote unquote. That's kind of their thing. The, the circling of the, the motorcycles. They do a lot yeah. in the film. So Sam ends up wandering into a comic book store, meets the Frog Brothers, Edgar and Alan. Yep. Pretty fucking obvious where that those names came <laughs> right. from. And, uh. He was like giving him shit about how their town sucks. It's like, I'm from Phoenix, actually, but we had to move here. And uh, <laughs> they're making fun of his clothes and stuff. Yeah. It's like, if you're looking for the frozen yogurt stand, it shut down last summer. <laughs> Some shit like that. The Frog Brothers fucking make this movie. And that's like, uh, that's the identifiable part. Yeah. As us, like when we were kids watching the movie, it's like, I could have been the fucking Frog Brothers. Exactly. So while they're doing their whole back and forth, they give him this comic and it's vampires everywhere. Right. It's like, I'm not into horror comics. And he's like, well, you'll be into this one. Right. Because they're making fun of him for like wandering into the comic book store and they start spouting off some random, like obscure comic knowledge. Like, oh, he knows his shit. Yeah. That's what they handed off. And it's because Joel Schumacher was a huge Batman fan. That's why he knew about that specific issue. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting that they went that route. So uh, while this is going on, the couple from the beginning are standing out if you ever been on a boardwalk, you'll see this where shops like put shit right outside the door and there's a bunch of comics out there and they steal some and go fucking running off. That's not the, this is free stuff section. No, 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 no. That's what got you in so much trouble, man. See, <laughs> just cause there's not signage doesn't mean it's free, but we cut back to Michael still falling star. Of course she goes back to the boys. Right. And, uh, Hops on David's motorcycle and they take off. And uh, I think Sam shows back up. He's like, ah, she stiffed you. But we cut back to the POV shot and it's intercut with the the couple reading the comics that they stole, I guess. Well, she's trying to read it. And he's trying to get some. Yeah. In a van, right? Yeah. Well, Down it's, by it's, the river. Well, yeah, it's some kind of car because what happens is she hears a noise like the scraping on yeah. top and the top of the car gets peeled open like a fucking tin can. Yes. And they both get yanked away like the cop at the beginning. It's tuna fish time, right? <laughs> So the next day, um, Sam goes back to the comic book store and he gets told by the Frog Brothers this time around that, you know, vampires are real and Santa Carla is crawling with them. And so, Sam still doesn't like vampire comics, apparently. Yeah. Well, he gets so he gets given another one and this one's called Destroy All Vampires. And they tell him to think think of it as a survival method. But he gives them shit about what they're into. And this is when we get the line from Corey Feldman where he's like, we're fighters for truth, justice in the American way. <laughs> And the reason he sounds so fucking weird and why he's wearing a red bandana is that he was told to butch it up, that he needed to go watch Stallone movies and Chuck Norris movies. Right. And he's the one who came back with the red headband and with this tough guy talk. 
and which doesn't work. But if you think of it as a kid at that age, like you get it. These guys are like, this shit has to be real. The frog brothers, you know, they're like, we have to believe it. And we find out later on in the movie, you know, 50% why and 50% how, in my opinion. I was going to say, I want to know how the frog brothers came to be, but they they don't really go into it though. Do they? Well, the main thing we see is that their parents, we hear that their parents own the shop and they're fucking stoner hippies that just stay passed out. Okay. So these are like the, the ultimate latchkey kids. No one's taking care of them. Okay. Okay. So they've probably seen some shit, but we don't know if this is all in their head and they just think they're cool or if they've actually seen some shit and they're just young and their delivery's poor. Or if this is uh, <laughs> just remnants of the original script where it was a retelling of Peter Pan. Yeah. It could, it could be from that too. So um, that night, uh, Star actually introduces herself to Michael mm-hmm. and uh, she's like, if you want your ear pierced, I can do it. It's a ripoff. And uh, he follows her back to the boys again. Yep. And this time, David actually speaks up. And I uh, was like, do you know where blah, 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 bluffs are? Or where something is overlooking the bluff or something like that? He's like, my bike can't beat yours. And he's like, you don't have to beat me. You just got to keep up. So we get this motorcycle kind of chase scene that starts off on the beach and then carries on through the woods. And then all of a sudden, Michael realizes where he's going because he can see a fucking lighthouse. Yeah. And they're racing towards this cliffside. And, uh, of course, David's constantly, come on, Michael, come on, Michael. And, uh, so he dumps the bike right before he goes over the edge and, uh, he runs up and just decks David Yeah, and, uh, or Michael does. He's like, just you, just you. (laughs) Yeah. He wants to fight it. We don't want to fight the whole gang. Right. (laughs) Exactly. And this is where he's like, come with us. He takes him to the lair and he tells the story about how back in whatever day it was a hoity toity, uh, friggin' country club hotel and then when, when the big one came, it just got swallowed up into the earth. Yes. So they're hanging out down there, and uh, <laughs> this is when shit gets good. So David tells Marco, go get food. Now, Marco, fucking Bill S. Preston Esquire. Yeah. Yeah, Bill S. Preston Esquire from Bill and Ted. And uh, so he leaves. And uh, meanwhile, um, back at home, we've got uh, Grandpa giving Sam a mounted fucking animal. And it's kind of a joke throughout the movie because later on in the movie, he opens his closet to put another one in there and the whole thing's <laughs> fucking filled with them. Yeah, it's filled to the brim of them. And uh, some worker comes back with Chinese and they're eating. And all of a sudden, David just goes, how are Do those you ma- like Boschetti? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is that from? <laughs> what we do in the shadows. Okay. Almost made the vampire episodes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I had to do that. <laughs> Your penis is cool, bro. <laughs> I think Jesse's done lost his shit. <laughs> but, uh, so David goes, how are those maggots? Maggots, Michael, you're eating maggots. How do they taste? <laughs> and his delivery is so good. And Michael looks down and it's fucking magnets in his little Chinese takeout box. It was magnets? Oh, sorry. It was maggots. And, uh. I know good enunciate well. <laughs> Something interesting I saw, apparently maggots don't move. Like they had to do something to them to make them wiggle. Cause they like oh, really? envisioned the scene and they filmed it and the maggots were just sitting there <laughs> and they had to put something in there. It was like a powder or something to agitate them to make them start wiggling. I got Cause you. they did not like, they could have just put rice in there. Those maggots when they did the real thing. You, you were talking about uh Kiefer Sutherland's delivery of the lines. Yeah. Um, I read somewhere like they're talking about how much of a character actor he is and how imposing he is. And he only has like 15 fucking minutes of dialogue in the whole movie. Yeah. Most of which is him saying, Michael, 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 Michael,
He's a scary fucking vampire in that movie for hardly ever talking. He is. And one thing, well, since we're talking about him for a second, I'll go ahead and just go into it. He's the only person I've ever seen in a movie in the history of fucking cinema or my life that can rock a mullet and still be intimidating. Now it is the spiky on top and the long in the back, but it's still a goddamn mullet. I'd take him out for a beer and look him straight in the face. via the goddamn haircut right now. It's fabulous. It was majestic as shit. Yeah. He ended up being uh, influential to somebody else later. And, uh, but so he dumped, he throws down the, the Chinese food, the maggots and realizes it's just rice. And uh, David's like, Oh, we'll have some noodles. And, and Michael looks at them and they're worms. Yeah. He's like worms. And David eats them anyways. What we're setting up for is what's going to happen next. It's time for the drink. Right. And they bring out this really nice decorative bottle and uh, David takes a drink of it. And it, the look on his face is like, it's some good shit. Yeah. Which is interesting later. Cause I guess it's vampire cannibalism, <laughs> <laughs> but he hands the bottle over to Michael and stars like, no, 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 don't drink it. And, uh, I don't remember if she says it's blood or he goes, what it's blood or something like she that. She says it's blood. It's his like, blood. Okay. Yeah. And Michael's like, yeah. And, and that's what we were setting up. So we had the mesmerizing glamor or whatever the fuck the vernacular is for it. So by the time we get to this, he's not going to believe it. I want to say when they very first walk into the hotel at the beginning though, I think David is smoking a joint and he hands it to he Michael does. too. And it's very subtle. I wonder if that was just kind of allude that he's like, maybe I'm high on PCP right now. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Something like that. Because, yeah, you're, you're right. It's right after he says Marco food. He turns around to Michael and holds up the joint and goes appetizer. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess because you got to think somehow Michael has to rationalize this in his head. Yeah. He probably just thinks he's fucking high. Can't handle the shit. Yeah. When they're telling him to drink the wine, they're saying, yeah, be one of us. And of course, yeah. now that he does it, they're like, you're one of us now, man. And we get a little montage. Music is heavy in this movie. Yes. Um, Cry Little Sister gets played like 17 times. <laughs> and if you listen to the lyrics, it's a really fucking creepy song. Did you know the guy wrote the song without seeing any scenes of the movie? All he did was read the script. And it fit. Yep. Um, the music, though, like a lot of movies from the 80s, the music gets dated. And uh, I don't feel any. Nothing is dated about Lost Boys to me. It's one of those that, like, it's so, you can tell, like, this is an 80s film. Right. But it doesn't feel like 80s tropey. Right. And it just, I don't know, it just fucking works. And I could be wearing, you know, rose-colored goggles. Uh, <laughs> but it's just, I don't even, I mean, obviously Sam's wearing, like, 80s Miami Vice jacket and shit in the club, or in the comic book shop. They're making yeah. fun of him. But even then, like, just nothing just jumps out out of place. It's like how well, he's got that, like, half naked poster of Rob Lowe in yeah. his bedroom. Well, it's because the director had just made, like, almost fire or something, right? So he's stuck yeah. in there. But, like, it's like Scream is forever going to be stuck in the 90s and you're not supposed to do that. But it works in that yeah. movie and it worked in this one. Totally. And um, so after the, the eats and the wine, they go and do the, the railroad bit. Mm -hmm. So he tells them to come with them. And uh, they're standing there on the railroad tracks on this bridge. And one by one, the other vampires start jumping in between the rails. And it's like, yeah. later, Michael. See ya. <laughs> and uh, David's like, you're one of us now. This gets said like 30 fucking times. Yeah. And he's like, come with us. And he jumps down there too. And then he notices that they're all holding onto these bars up under right. the railroad track. So he kind of climbs down there and he's hanging. Fucking train comes by. And they're all fucking shaking and screaming like, yeah. <laughs> and then one of them falls. And yeah. David, or not David. Michael's like, oh, shit. <laughs> I don't care how much I wanted to make an impression and get new friends. I don't care how hot the chick is. I, this is the moment where I'm like, all right, I'm out of your suicide cult now. I'm fucking leaving. <laughs> yeah. So one by one, the other two guys drop off and the train finally goes by and it's just David and Michael. And David's again like, hey, you're one of us. Come with us, Michael. And he lets go. 
So Michael tries to pull himself up, but he can hear them talking. Yeah. It's like, come on, Michael. Yeah, you're one of us. So it's got to be safe down there past the fog, yeah. right? But he's still, he, he, when his hands give way is when he finally fucking falls. Yeah. And uh, of course he just falls to his bed and wakes up there. That's, that's how the cut is to us. We really don't know what happens after he falls. So we see that um, Grandpa's getting ready to go to Widow Johnson's for date night. <laughs> and but that becomes important later on. But uh, he's like, you seen any cologne anywhere? And Sam's like, Windex, Grandpa. He's like, oh, that ain't half bad. <laughs> and the look on Michael's face, like Michael and Sam like look at each other like, fucking Grandpa is crazy. This is great. Uh, well, it, when they first go in, they points at the plants out the window and do the little hit in the joint thing. So I guess they're thinking that Grandpa just stays stoned. But uh, the important part is, is when he leaves, he plays the La Cucaracha horn blast on his right. old truck that works for the first few notes. So that night we get the motorcycle bit with the wind and we hear the motorcycles and see the lights and all that shit. But when they go to open the door, there's nothing there. I thought it was the fucking Hell's Angels. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're, they're given this time, yeah, late 80s, they would have <laughs> still been complete assholes. I mean, they're wonderful people. Um, <laughs> you can cut that if you want to. <laughs> You can leave that if you want I think this is when Lucy goes the first attempt. Yeah. The first attempt for Lucy to go on a date with Max. But uh, Michael tells uh, Sam to go get in his bath. And uh, so he's taking a bath. Hey, good man. (laughs) It's so iconic too, though. And it's the kind of shit we did when we were kids. Maybe a little younger than him, but definitely relatable. I don't know what age he was supposed to be either. Yeah. But he's in the bath. Meanwhile, Michael's downstairs and he goes to get a carton of milk. Because he's thirsty. Well, milk ain't what he's thirsty for. Right. And he drops the milk in the uh, in the kitchen floor, and you can tell that the hunger's, like, really starting to take him because over. Because he's in pain, right? Like, yeah. when he falls over. So he goes upstairs, and he's just, you know, I think we can hear the heartbeat that he's hearing and all yeah. the, and uh, opens the door, and fucking Nanook is like, hell no, I'm protecting Sam, and fucking jumps on Michael and bites his hand. What <laughs> the fuck did you do to my dog, Michael? <laughs> So Sam goes downstairs and uh, he's talking to Michael and Michael's like, it's Nook. Nook bit me. There's something wrong with the dog. And uh, they stand up and he notices that he's like half lost his reflection, like right. Michael J. Fox and back to the future style <laughs> in the picture and shit. And I uh, was like, you're a creature of the night, Michael. You're one of them. <laughs> and he starts going up the stairs. He goes, you're a vampire, Michael. My own brother, a goddamn shit sucking vampire. You wait till mom finds out, buddy. <laughs> Honestly, honestly, that's in my top three favorite lines in the movie, and that might be number fucking one right there. Yeah, that shit's great. So Sam calls the Frog Brothers, and they're like, you got to drive a stake through his heart. And he's like, I can't do that. And it's like, all right, we'll come over. Well, first they're like, you know, are his nails a little bit longer? He's like, maybe. He's like, this is breath stink? And he's like, well, it's always been kind of smelly. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, so then he calls his mom. And while this is going on, Michael just starts floating. So it's vampire powers and he doesn't know how to use them yet. I want to interject here. He does not call his mom's cell phone. That wasn't a thing yet. Oh, yeah. He has to call the restaurant and ask for it. So she is away from Max when this is going on as well. That's right. And uh, so he goes floating out his own window and happens to grab the phone as he's going out as something to hold on to as she's picking up at the restaurant. So you've got Sam's like, Mom, you got to come home right now. There's blah, 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 blah. He's going to get me. He's going to get me. And he starts floating outside of Sam's window. And he's like, don't listen to him. <laughs> I just, I've had situations with my little brother, like where I was supposed to be watching him and he was two years younger than me. And, and like my brother calls to tell on me and I'm on the other phone. Don't listen to him. There was yeah. no vampirism, but like, <laughs> it's just so well done. 
So, of course, mom rushes home. And when she gets there, Sam's like, oh, I just got scared reading a comic. And uh, <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. And uh, he helps Michael back in the window, right? Like he helps him in. Yeah. And he's like, what's going on? Michael's like, I don't know. Like th- there's the brother bonding still there. Right? Exactly. And uh, so Lucy sees the milk all over the floor and the refrigerator open and she's bitching about it and sets the count, the carton on the counter. And that's when we see Laddie's face on it yeah. as one of the missing people. So this is post the dinner being ruined at yeah. uh, the restaurant. So we cut to Max going home and standing outside and he hears noises. And then all of a sudden he gets hit with this vampire bat looking kite. Yeah. And, uh, we start hearing the motorcycles and we see the lights and they all circle that. circle the shit. wagons. <laughs> but then it just cuts away. Yeah. Um, my red fact, in, hair. Yeah. In my notes here, I have victim my ass. Um, <laughs> I really wish they wouldn't have done that scene. Agreed. Because it adds absolutely nothing to the film. It's very confusing why that would happen to him at all and why he would live from it. And then when you see the end of the movie, it's just like, that was kind of cheap. I could have, they could have not put it in there. It would have assisted the pacing of the film. No. And we didn't need it for the the ending at all. Sorry, I just had to gripe for a second. (laughs) Not, no movie is perfect. Not even fucking Lost Boys. (laughs) So then we got Michael goes to the lair to find Star and he's like, what am I? What in the fuck is going on? You have to tell me. And she's like, no, I can't tell you, but I can fuck you. No, she doesn't. <laughs> That's about what goes down. Were you writing a porno or watching a porno while you watched this movie and just kind of. I may have been. Them? I can type with one hand. So the other one roams. <laughs> I mean, this is like, uh, I'm here to fix the cable shit that you just did. But she, she, in all seriousness, she won't come off of any, any information, but we do have a sex scene with them. Um, is it, does she not say at this point that you don't fully turn until you feed? Not yet. Okay. That's not till she comes back over to the house. Okay. I knew that was brought up at some point, but, um, but what we do get during this is the POV shot of the boys flying in and going into the back part of the lair where, where they sleep. The bat cave. (laughs) So the next day, Sam goes with mom to drop off the apology wine to Max. Right. And she's like, well, let me go set it by the door. If I leave it out here at the end of the gate, somebody will just walk away with it because he's got like this little gate and long walkway up to the front door. Right. And I'm fucked this up. Earlier in the movie, we've been introduced to um, Max's dog, Thorn. Yeah. And uh, he seems nice for the most part earlier in the movie. Yeah, it seems great. Until now. <laughs> and uh, Thorn comes out fucking rabid, you know, right. like, like one step below fucking rabies and shit and chases her all the way down the walkway. She drops the wine. It shatters. She jumps the fucking fence. He gets some of her dress. And by that time, Sam's heard her yelling and comes running over and helps her over. Well, he notices that's the part where he was in his fucking comic about right. the hounds of hell that are the protectors of the vampires while they sleep. And uh, <laughs> well, at least it shows us that. Yeah. Um, so Sam, this is when Sam finally goes to the frog brothers and he's like, Oh my, Oh my God, this shit's going down. I need your help. And, uh, like we need to kill the, uh, the van, the head vampire to save Michael. Right. And he's like, I know who it is. It's this max guy, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. So, uh, attempt at date number two is happening that night. Max is going to come over to their house and have dinner with mom. And, uh, Michael's leaving as Max shows up. Right. And he's like, you're the man of the house and I'm not coming in unless you invite me. Right. And uh, it's like anybody who knows the lore is like, Tim, Tim, yeah. it's always going to be him. I don't care what happens to the rest of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's like, you're invited and fucking walks out. And uh, so he comes in and the Frog Brothers have come over. And so they're all around on the fucking table. His and- mom's mad because she... 
you can have guests over for dinner, but you have to warn me first, Sam. Yeah. And so they're like, here, try some Parmesan cheese. It's garlic. He lives. Yeah. And Sam throws water in his lap. And it's like, does it burn? And he's like, no, of course not. It's freezing. His, his fucking <laughs> remarks like back are because he's like, I bet you fucking hate garlic. He's like, no, I love garlic. It's just a lot of it. Yeah, like he's it's going back and garlic. Then, uh, Alan frog grabs the candles to put them out. So that, and Edgar frog is like, he's not glowing. And, uh, <laughs> the lights kick on and they got a mirror right in front of his face. And he's like, ah, cause he sees his own <laughs> reflection. One quick thing I got to point out here. The, uh, guy playing, uh, Alan frog who actually grabs the candles to yeah. put out. Nobody told him to wet his fingers. Oh. And he literally just pinched the fucking candles <laughs> on the first take. That'll fuck you up. He wet his fingers on the other takes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Lesson learned. But the whole thing is played out that I'm not trying to replace your father. I'm just here to be your friend. You know, oh shit, maybe Max isn't the, the head vampire. Right. Let's let him go. So I think Michael goes back to the lair. No, he doesn't go back to the lair yet again. It's on the boardwalk. He finds David and he wants to know where Star is because right. still Star is his only end to find out what's going on because he's not really he's not involved with what's going on between Sam and the Frog Brothers. Right. It's this whole separate thing. And uh, David tells him, well, if you ever want to see Star again, you're going to have to come with us. So Michael goes with the boys and this is where we have the bonfire scene. Yes. It's like you're one of us now. And uh, they're all like perched up in this fucking tree watching yeah. the guys. And they all fucking vamp out and they attack and we get all these quick cuts. My favorite one being, I think it's David biting this dude's head and this big spray of blood that goes off. But Michael won't do it. He fucking half vamps out and stays in the tree, but he will not go kill. Yeah. And uh, so they come back up and this is one of those things that pisses me off. Fucking clean as a whistle, not a drop of blood on him, but like still that angry, sweaty face like they just did some shit and like, well, now, Michael, you know what we are and you know what you are. Uh, I, I do want to point out this was the first use of the term vamp out. Yes. <laughs> it was this movie. So Michael rushes home and uh, Sam tells him that, you know, I've talked to the Frog Brothers. We got to find and kill the head vampire. And Star shows up outside the window down below hollering hmm. and you cut. There's this quick cut back to Michael and. Sam's like, is she one of them? And then a quick cut back to Sam standing next to the window and you hear this whoosh. And she's just standing there. He's like, holy crap, she is one of them. <laughs> and that's when we get the whole explanation that uh, he was supposed to be her first kill. You're not fully turned until you make your first kill. You get the bite. Or no, sorry. Not, that's not, not what they do in this one. It's not the bite. You drink the blood. Then you got to do your first kill. And they haven't had theirs. Yeah. Um, her and Laddie haven't. So Sam calls the Frog Brothers over. This is where he clues Michael in because he's like, I know some guys that yes. can help. And uh, they steal Grandpa's car. They go to the lair. I want to go through some detail for the ending ending. So I'm going to rush through this part, kind of. They go to the lair. They find where they're hanging up in the back part. And they climb up there. And Edgar stakes Marco. And he fucking starts screaming like crazy. And fucking bleeds every friggin' yes. where. Bill S. Preston Esquire is no more. I mean, it's pouring out like a fountain. Yeah. And uh, as they make their escape, David ends up grabbing Sam's leg and they pull him into the sunlight and he burns his hand and he pulls his pulls his hand back. And there's a quick rush tight shot of his face and get the single tear running down his cheek, which supposedly was because of the contacts and was a happy accident. Because it was one of those, uh, it's back when they had to use like solid glass contacts. Yeah, like the the big ones that covered like everything in the front of your eye. And like that happened to uh, Bruce Campbell. And Evil Dead, when he falls in the water and he comes out and the tear runs down, yeah. it was just from the glass contact. Oh, we, we have it later in another movie as well. Yeah. Um, so we hit plan B. 
And that's Sam's going to go tell mom. Mom can help. <laughs> he goes to her at work and goes through the whole thing, makes a scene. She's not buying it. And, uh, <laughs> Grandpa, <laughs> you know what's a rule when you borrow my car without asking? You fill the tank up, okay? <laughs> yeah. So then they're moving on to full blown plan B, and that's, uh, Sam and the Frog Brothers prepping. <laughs> Because yeah, they know the war's coming to the house that yeah, night. And they run into this church where there's like a christening going on and they're filling all their canteens and shit in the holy water right by the door, looking at him like, uh-huh. Yep. This is exactly what you think it is. They tell grandpa that the widow Johnson said to pick her up an hour early tonight. So they get grandpa out of the house. He's like, I have a date with her tonight. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they're putting holy water in the tub, filling it with garlic. They got their squirt guns ready. They got their steaks. And, uh, I don't know if they show the bow and arrow with, they do. I'm pretty sure they show Sam with a bow and arrow. And uh, so they're all prepped, waiting for night to fall. So uh, night falls. We got the boys on their way because now they they can wake up and leave after one of their own has been killed. So we're down to three of them. And uh, Lucy is over at Max's this time to try to have dinner. And while they're at the dinner, she goes into the whole thing about, you know, Sam came in and he just seemed so serious about thinking that there were vampires and blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And Max is like, oh, really? Well, boys will be boys or some shit like that. So back at the house, we have the boys attack. And uh, I just want to go through the kills here. So <laughs> they're good. Kill one. To. We've got the Frog Brothers in the nook throw uh, what gets referred to as Twisted Sister in the tub. <laughs> and it's fucking awesome because. Uh, I think he sees the garlic and he's like, garlic, ha, or, or that doesn't work or something like that. It's like, try holy water. Yeah. And they splash it in his face and his face starts to melt off. Nanook shoves him in the tub. He's fucking screaming and shit. He goes under. Then he comes back. Right. He's like fucking skeletal and shit. And uh, the Frog Brothers are just on the bathroom floor holding <laughs> each other screaming. This is when you figure out like how far out of their element this actually is. Yeah. Because when Twisted Sister comes in, they got the stakes and stuff, and he's just, like, fucking slapping shit out of their hands because yeah. they can't do it. And I, I don't remember if there's a cross and it doesn't work because that happens so many times in these next two episodes. <laughs> and uh, the garlic don't work. And then, you know, fucking the nook saves them. Like, they basically did fuck all their other yeah. than put the goddamn water in the yeah. bathtub and yeah, the dog that, saved them. That and the one splash. So the tub drains for some reason. That bothers me. But, man... The payoff is so fucking cool that I don't care that it doesn't make sense. Yeah, and real quickly, we feel like we're in a Wes Craven film because, or Stanley Kubrick, I guess, because um, blood just starts coming out of every water fixture in the house. So hard out of the toilet, it explodes. <laughs> fucking pipes are bursting and blood's flying everywhere. It's pretty fucking insane. So downstairs, we've got Sam and the dark-headed vampire dude, which I think both of these guys were like models or something. I don't fucking know. I don't fucking remember. But, they uh, all fit the look perfect, though. He goes lunging through the air, and Sam shoots him with a bow and arrow, and he's just down on the ground. He gone. <laughs> and he springs back up. He's not gone. He's like, you missed, sucker. Yeah. And he shoots him again, and he flies back into the big component stereo system and fucking starts screaming and shit, and fucking sparks are flying everywhere. And Michael comes in at the same time, and he's pinned down on the ground with Sam, and Sam's like, death by stereo. And yes, that is where the band got the fucking name okay. from was that kill. So we get to kill three. And in my notes, it says this with a question mark. And I will get back to this at the very <laughs> end of the movie or very end of this. Um, so we have the big fight between Michael and uh, David. Okay. And, and they do this Matrix style flying back and forth. Yes, this happened first, but still Matrix <laughs> style flying back and forth. And uh, David goes to try to slam Michael into these horns 
in the t- taxidermy room. Yeah. And he grabs onto the door frame and he's like, come on, Michael, be one of us. You know, he's still, you know, yeah. give in, man. And it's like, my blood is pulsing through your veins or something like that. And then Michael's like, and so is mine. And he spins, it's overly dramatic. I don't like it. And he spins <laughs> David around and fucking impales him on these horns. And David just quietly turns back human. Does not disintegrate. Yeah, he does not disintegrate or anything. And there was a thing in there, I think it's after the first kill, where Edgar Frog is saying, some will go quietly, some will go loud, some implode, some explode, but no matter what, they'll all try to take you with them. Yeah. I Let's just go ahead and cover the David not disintegrating part right now. Um, what, the fact that he just seems to be a human again? Yeah, and uh, his pulse gets checked later, like, well, Max is the fucking head vampire, but when yeah. Max comes in, he checks him and he doesn't look concerned. That no, he's dead. he just goes in and looks at him. Supposedly it was a setup for a sequel yeah. for David to still be alive. And it wasn't wood. They didn't ram wood through his exactly. heart. It was antlers. Yeah, it was. So, it was supposed to be the setup for the Lost Girls, which was the sequel that Joel Schumacher wanted to make. Right. And David was still going to be around and he was going to be the one that created the next pack or nest or whatever you wanted to call and it. And that would have been really fucking cool to see. It could have been. I think if they would have. I didn't look at figures on this i think if they would have struck either while the iron was hot or wait till it's a cult classic but then what happened once they waited till it was a cult classic was, was abysmal. straight to fucking video i don't get me started on it but yeah lucy <laughs> and uh and max come in and like you said max finds david and uh and michael realizes that he's still half turned yeah and star doesn't feel any different either so that he wasn't the head vampire and like holy crap it must be max and uh so Max tells them, he's like, hey, you invited me in. Inviting a vampire into your house renders you useless against their powers. Right. And uh, which is an interesting take that you can pass all the vampire test of your. It's a bullshit. <laughs> Thank you. Um, that you uh, apparently have a reflection if you're invited and holy water. doesn't. Yeah. Like, okay, maybe I'll accept that you'll have a reflection so you can appear as more human. But the things that could kill you should probably still kill you. I agree. And we find out that garlic doesn't actually hurt them. Yeah. So holy water and the mirror, like the little fucking hills yeah. to die on here. But the holy water is the big one for me. So he says that it was always all about Lucy. That was the one that he wanted. And he figured if he could have his boys bring in her boys, that they would all be together and it would be much easier for her. And uh, one of the Frog Brothers goes, great, a blood-sucking Brady Bunch. (laughs) I forget which one says it. So uh, Max vamps out and just immediately everybody that comes at him, he just, I'm just doing sound effects in the microphone. (laughs) He just slaps them all away, no matter who rushes him. And then he ends up grabbing Sam. And uh, it's like looking at Lucy like, Make your choice right now, him or me. Yeah. And uh, he holds out his hand and she reaches out and she's crying. She's going to fucking submit. And, oh, man, I fucked up. I totally left out a part earlier. Very important part earlier. (laughs) When they steal grandpa's car, grandpa's out working on the fence. Yeah. And he's got these big ass fucking pikes that he's using for fucking fence posts. Right. And uh, I don't know if you can see him strapped to the hood of the truck. But regardless, while Lucy is taking Max's hand, you hear. And uh, Michael jumps down and throws Sam in front of the doors where Grandpa fucking crashes the truck in. And one of these big ass fence posts comes and pales him, flies him straight into the fucking fireplace. And he explodes big time. Right. But but he he hits the fireplace fireball. And <laughs> I, I want to. So this is cinematically. It's fucking fantastic. You hear the song. You know, it's Grandpa. The stake flies through. It impels the master vampire. He explodes. It fucking all looks wonderful. 
But if you try to like analyze the scene at all, one, how did Michael know what was happening to oh, dive and save absolutely. Sam? Absolutely. How did Grandpa know the fucking vampires were in his house? Yep. How did he know where Max was standing? And how did he know the fucking pole was going to fly? like a spear at a straight line through the window and straight into his heart. I agree wholeheartedly. The whole ending is such bullshit. I'll suspend belief. But I don't care because I love this movie. <laughs> um, so grandpa like all nonchalantly gets out of his truck, goes walking over into the kitchen and like the whole time Lucy's like, dad, dad, <laughs> dad. And like all three of them are standing there watching him. He goes over to his old fart shelf, takes a big swig of root beer. And he's like, the one thing about living in Santa Carla, I could never stomach all the damn vampires. <laughs> so it's like, fuck, he's known this whole time. It doesn't make the scene preceding it make sense, but still. When I was a kid and he walked in and he was acting strange. You thought he was the actual head vampire or something? Yeah, I thought he was a, I thought he was a vampire, the head vampire, and that would have been really fucking cool. Yeah, love the movie. Yeah. Like I said, my favorite vampire movie of all time. A few more fun facts about this movie. So the thing about um, Schumacher coming into the project is this was originally supposed to be a Richard Donner film. Yes. And he had just come off of doing The Goonies. Yes. And he had just been offered Lethal Weapon. Yes. And he wanted Schumacher involved in it regardless. Mm -hmm. So he ended up giving handing the reins over basically to Joel Schumacher and stayed on as an executive producer. There's a few interesting things with all those dynamics. Going back to Goonies... Goonies was originally a hard R script. Yes. It was supposed to be kids cussing and fighting and crazy and shit. Well, Lost Boys was supposed to be younger boys and not as adult and graphic. It right. really was going to be Lost Boys, Peter Pan, Vampire Kids. Some of the names reference back to characters from Peter Pan. Yeah. Uh, the boys were teenagers and the Frog Brothers were supposed to be chubby Cub Scouts. Yep. Right? And... That's what I was saying earlier. It would have made some of them like they just know how to kill a vampire make more sense because you got like nine year olds thinking this. Yeah. Uh, and they just kept it. I'd love to see that movie as much as I'd love to see the hard R Goonies. I probably would too. Not as much. I really want to see the hard R Goonies, man. I just, <laughs> they, it'll never happen. Um, but there was a little, a little nod of the hat in Lethal Weapon. There's a scene where there's a movie theater in the background and yes. on the marquee, you see Lost Boys this this year's hit or something like that. Yeah. That uh, Richard Donner put in there. We went over the thing with the two Corey's Santa Cruz wouldn't let him use their name. The movie was of course cited as another influence for Buffy, the vampire slayer. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's not just cited like that's fucking, that's what Joss Whedon says. Well, the, the main takeaway being that spike was heavily based on David. Yeah. Lost, They're cool in different ways though. Um, <laughs> Lost girls. We talked about a little bit back to the thing about Michael. Okay. So Michael's name is said in the Michael. movie 118 <laughs> times. Given the movie's runtime, that means you hear Michael more than once a minute yes. through the fucking movie. And just typing my notes for this movie, I got sick of typing Michael, and I was specifically leaving out all the times <laughs> that someone said Michael. So you got scene 118 and Michael being said 118 times. That's why <laughs> that number is important to remember. Why does that roll over so much in horror? <laughs> but uh, moving on a few years and in a kind of different direction but oh, yeah but with a lot of interesting crossovers in the overarching theme of the movies is getting on over into your boy and his take on vampires with 1998's john carpenter's vampires i mean this fucking movie has two things in the title just to get me like really excited man you got fucking john carpenter making a movie gives you wood <laughs> ebony <laughs> and fucking vampires so these were two huge things for me growing up and John Carpenter, honestly, the 90s fucking sucked for him. Yeah. Like he was just making shitty movies. 
His fans didn't like him. They weren't making any money. He made an escape from L.A. It was going to fucking save everything. One of the worst goddamn movies I've ever seen in my life. Hey, now, hey, now. <laughs> you like Escape from L.A.? I like Snake Plissken. <laughs> I mean, I love Snake Plissken. I love Escape from New York. The surfing scene? Come on, man. No, no, there's no excuse. Wait, was that New York or L.A.? That's L.A. Okay. There's nothing good in L.A. Yeah, I'm, I don't mean to derail you, but I do have to bring up the wife and I talking about this because we literally watched this movie today. Okay. And she's like, I would have rather seen fucking Snake Plissken. <laughs> I'm like, you got James Woods. And she's like, but still. Oh, he's so good in this movie. Um, And since we're doing vampire, we picked vampire movies that we fucking love. So there's, yeah. this is not in any kind of order, but. I just remember this was coming out in the theaters. I had to go fucking see it because John Carpenter and vampires. This is a movie that Josh actually got to see for the first time with me because I remember crashing his house and renting it. Yep. It's fun while not being a funny movie. Like Lost Boys had a little bit of comedy. Fright Night had a lot. This movie is a fucking action horror movie. So this is actually from a book. And they had been trying to make a movie out of the book for years. Okay. And uh, his movies had sucked. And John Carpenter was about to retire. He was done directing like the nineties were so bad on him. He did not want to fucking direct anymore. No shit. And Largo entertainment contacted him. And they're like, Hey, we got this book. We got two scripts for this book. We've been working on it for a few years to uh, make a movie. We'd like to have Willem Dafoe and Dolph Lundgren in it. So I'm assuming that would have been Jack Crow and Valak. Okay. I could see it. Yeah. I wouldn't have liked it as much. I was going to say, that would have been really weird. Would Willem Dafoe said, we're the folks with the crossbows? Would that line have been in this movie and not Daybreakers, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> but he read the script. He liked the idea of it. He liked that he could make a Western out of it. Yeah. But vampires, because just like the 80s when Fright Night came out, vampires were in the shitter by the end of the 90s. Yeah. They were getting overplayed, overdone. Pretty much Blade was the only good vampire movie I remember around then. When Late you- 90s? Was that late? Yeah, I, that movie's always older than I think it is. I worked at uh, the first theater I worked at, and you barely had a driver's license. Yeah, we had been like fucking 16, 17. So, <laughs> um, so he was willing to do it, but in a very John Carpenter way. Fuck the other two scripts. I'm going to make my own. Yeah. He, so he took elements supposedly from the first two scripts and the book, but he made his own script. However, I read there's a somebody else is accredited for doing the whole script. I don't, I don't really? know why, but it's fucking John Carpenter's script. Um, I mean, maybe because he took some parts from that guy's script or. Well, there's another movie where I read something that even with rewrites that there's like the Screen Actors Guild or the union or something that once it's tagged as one person, even if it gets heavily doctored, the okay. original person still gets the credit. Then that might have been it. Actually, that would make sense because, I mean, John Carpenter, I mean, he does what the fuck he wants. So he makes a movie <laughs> like he's very he wants it his way. And he chain smokes. <laughs> I don't know how he's fucking. I mean, I love you, man. I don't want you to die of lung cancer, but I don't know how you hadn't had it happen to you yet, brother. <laughs> And uh, he, he wanted James Woods for the role. And uh, James Woods was like, I'll make a deal with you. I'll do one scene exactly how you wrote it. And I'm fucking improvising the rest. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, I guess that's the one person John Carpenter can't argue with is James Woods. So most of his fucking iconic lines in that movie. Yeah. All James Woods. Okay. So that makes him even cooler. What brought him in? Was it, this would have been after Videodrome. I can't think of what else would be like, make me think I want James Woods to kill fucking vampires. I think John Carpenter just envisioned like the way he wanted like the, the older guy that's really fucking cocky and just go in and do it. He just pictured James Woods. Okay. And uh, fucking Montoya was supposed to be Alec Baldwin. And he was, I mean, he had the role he was in and he had to pass on it for another movie. And he's like, you gotta get my brother. <laughs> so, so, so that's all Daniel Baldwin. So we, went, we went two levels down in the quality of Baldwin. <laughs> I like when I was uh, doing research and actually I saw like an interview with Alec Baldwin 
and saw him saying like, oh, I, I recommended they get my brother. For some reason in my head, I was like, man, Adam fucking looks weird in this interview. <laughs> there wasn't Adam. There's fucking too many of them. There is. But you got John Carpenter. You got him making his, his dream Western film with a horror twist. You got James Woods in it, who you know is going to have some fucking personality to it. Yeah. And you got fucking K&B Studios to do all the special effects. True that. So, I mean, this, this movie's got to be great, right? And we're covering it. Well, that's not true. We did gender snaps at one time. They're not all winners. Different strokes for different folks, man. Come on. I just wanted to upset Josh for a second. I know, because you know what's coming later. <laughs> oh. All right. But to get into the movie, we open up into the desert in New Mexico, and we see like a very prepped out vampire hunting team uh, led by wisecracking James Woods, right? And you there's a priest. Got James Woods. <laughs> I knew you were going to do a family guy reference somewhere in here. Uh, <laughs> and there's a priest with them, and he's like fucking blessing the team. Which is kind of weird because they got this like biker gang vibe and there's a priest with them. And um, they go in and it is the most efficient takedown of vampires I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, Because he's like, this is a nest. The master's got to be in there. Blah, blah, blah. And they're going in and they have these like fucking silver spears with spotlights on them. They'll fucking ram a vampire into the wall with the spear. They might stake it depending on the scenario. Yeah. But James Woods has a crossbow with a with a tow cable leading to a winch on a Jeep Wrangler. He fucking shoots the vampire with the uh, crossbow bolt. He radios into Montoya, who's at the Jeep, who turns the winch on, fucking drags the vampire out in the sunlight because they're yeah. doing this during the day. The vampires catch on fire and burn. Montoya fucking preps another bolt, gives it to fucking Jack Crow, which is James Woods, and the priest blesses the corpse. It's fucking just magic. Yeah, this is like if if the Buffy the Vampire Slayer Scooby gang all grown up. I don't know. Just, it's so many levels beyond that. It's like fucking Google efficiency or something. <laughs> now, that's frightening. One thing I got to say real quick, when they do get drug out and burn up, I fucking love it so much because it's like it looks like magnesium flares. Yes. That it literally looks like they're hellfire burning out of them in spots before they kept, before they burst into flames. I fucking love that about this, this movie. The special effects are just fantastic in this movie, and I'll get into that when it comes. But the burning, I'm I'm guessing they just actually like had magnesium and burn paper and stuff yeah. on mannequins and just burned it. Instead, of a lot of vampire movies, you get that like before CGI, you get the the fire like superimposed from a different take on top of them, and yeah. it's just a different layer, and and you really get it in this one. So yeah, it's awesome. Just fucking, but like I said, they they murder out this whole nest. Like I, I don't even think there's in danger of getting hurt, right? And there's some notable, you know, fucking cast members in here, like fucking Shang Tsung from the Mortal Kombat movie and stuff. He was mad because he was a glorified yeah. like stunt double in the movie. He didn't really get to talk. Yep. Um, the only one that really jumps out to me is Mark Boone Jr. and he plays Catelyn. You find out, but he's um he's in Sons of Anarchy, and he pops up in like Thirty Days a Night. He's Bo the fucking Oh, okay. uh, backhoe driver and stuff. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so okay, okay. he's just—he's a little—he's not as heavy, and he doesn't have a beard. The guy's always got a beard normally. Yeah. So, but that's the only hunter that that sticks out to me. But they just fucking—they go in and they just clean house on these vampires. Like there's nothing left. And uh, Jack Crow, James Woods' character, is actually bummed out because there's no master. There's always a master in the nest, and yeah. he doesn't know I couldn't find it. But the convoy's leaving from the nest. And you see hands start clawing out of the fucking dirt. And you see like a vampire with like long wavy hair and shit coming out, right? Yeah. And that might be the master, right? Could be. But the team ends up at this hotel and there's like hookers everywhere and booze and they're fucking partying. 
and the uh, sheriff's talking to the priest. And he's like, I'm so glad you guys are heading out of here because this week of paying for hookers and liquor is about to break me or something. Yeah. And uh, you see the priest tell Jack that he's talked to Rome and they're going to wire the money. And that's because they're a secret vampire hunting organization that's backed by the Catholic Church right, yeah. for funding. And we'll find out why they back them later. Yep. And um, the party ensues just the way you think it would. Right. <laughs> and uh, that's really because the parties I was at like that either a didn't exist or B just turned into one big orgy. I was, <laughs> shit. I was talking about if you're like a group, like cowboy gunslinger, vampire hunters with a bunch of sex workers. Yeah. And booze. Like and, this is how it would go down. And it really is. And I know that's what the, the theme they were saying there. And, and like you're saying, it's like Western. It's like the good old times where we just rock shit. Now we're going to go to the whorehouse and drink and fuck. Yeah. And then we're, <laughs> we're introduced to Katrina and she's eyeballing Jack. And it's actually the actress is Cheryl Lee and, um, John Carpenter wanted her because he saw her in Twin Peaks. Okay. And he's like, I, I need her in this movie. And she's hitting on Jack. And I was kind of wondering if Jack was going to go for it because he's not really partaking in the party like the rest of the team. Yeah. And it's because he's bummed out that there was no master. And he says the master, they call the vampires goons. It's a master and the goons. Yeah. And he's saying to the priest again, the or it might even been Montoya because he complains to both of them. The master's never this far from the goons. Where could he have been? And that's the guy we saw crawling on the ground. Well, when Katrina's hitting on him, uh, she's going to go wait in his room for him. And he steps out. I don't remember if it's like a phone call or what, but he's not present. And when Katrina walks into his hotel room, we see the head vampire, Valak, the master, on the ceiling. And he fucking dives down on her. Yeah. Right? And it cuts to um, she's on the bed and it almost looks like he's going down on her. And she's like really enjoying it. But he's drinking blood out of her thigh. Yeah. He's and, nearly eating that pussy. Yeah. <laughs> And he says something kind of seductive to her. And she's like, she's obviously entranced in some way. And yeah. He bites her on the other leg and he just kind of leaves her there. Well, you cut back to the hotel room and somebody's knocking on the door and Catlin, which was uh Mark Boone jr. That I was talking about gets up and he tells that girl, he's like, you don't go anywhere. I got plans for you. Cause he's going to get more beer. That's what it was. Yep, Going on beer. beer and and uh, cause he's like, I know where it's at. And then while he's saying, I got plans for you. One of the other hunters is already making out with him. Yeah. And this scene is just so fucking gruesome. He opens the door and Valak is standing there and Valak's got claws on his fingers and he just like karate chops like up from his nuts up to the top of his head. And the camera just kind of pans around and Catelyn stands there like just dazed and just splits in fucking half. Yeah, it is fucking awesome. (laughs) Well, he just attacked a party full of fucking vampire hunters. So they're drunk, but they're mostly still armed, (laughs) at least have their weapons in the room. And uh, they're shooting him, and he's just kind of like running across the room, like the bullets are bouncing off of him, like they're nothing. That's like the crow and shit. Yeah, he actually it, it does look like the crow the way he's doing it. In all seriousness, and uh, the other vampires, the bullets weren't killing them in the nest, but when they would shoot him, it would knock him over. It would hurt him in some way. Yeah. This guy doesn't give two fucks about the bullets. No. And Jacks hears what's going on, and he runs in the hotel room, and the hunters are just getting fucking picked off left and right. The sheriff gets killed. Jack gets in there and tries to dive for his crossbow. He does this like, I'm a badass. And he rolls and then impales his leg with something. I don't remember if it's a bolt or broken glass, yeah. but you never see that happen in the movies. It was kind of a nice touch. And he sees the Padre get killed, yep. which obviously he was very close with this priest. So he is not fucking happy yeah, about that. Poor, poor Padre had just gotten drunk for what they made it seem like was the first time in his life. Now he's a Catholic priest. They drink all they want. Oh, sorry. Yeah. In, <laughs> inside baseball from Jesse. <laughs> inside baseball. <laughs> holy shit but yeah there's dead hookers everywhere there's dead fucking hunters there's dead law enforcement there's dead priests like fucking yeah it is an absolute fucking bloodbath and it's all at literally the hands 
of Valak. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it's an awesome shootout scene. I mean, you get that like spaghetti western saloon shootout yeah. vibe. And uh, Jack and Montoya flee like they're out, they can't do this fight with just two of them. And they run out to the jeep and they find Katrina like staggering around. And he's like, "Oh, you're fucking bitten! Get the fuck away from me!" Like she's diseased. And then he's like, oh, hold on, hold on. And he grabs her. And Montoya's like, leave her, Jack. And he's like, no, no, no. The psychic link, we can use her like a fucking surveillance camera. Yep. And as soon as they said that, like, I, I kind of knew where they were going to go with that. Like, it was a really good idea. And I haven't read the novel. I don't know how much this came from the novel and how much of it is from Don Carpenter okay. and the other scriptwriter. So, but they're fleeing the scene. And uh, Valak's chasing the car down fast as fuck. And I think he actually jumps on top of their car, right? And then Jack just fucking empties a clip into his face. Oh, okay. And he goes flying off the back. Not like it, it didn't hurt him once again, but it knocked him loose at least. And they wrecked the car somewhere and uh, they have to get out and, oh, the sun starts coming. Right. So Valak yeah. has to go retreat. Luckily, the, I mean, at least you have the sun to save you against vampires. Right. But Jack wants to know who set him up is what he tells Montoya uh, because the vampire knew his name. Jack Crow. They start walking. Like basically looking for any form of civilization because they're in the fucking deserts in New Mexico, right? Yeah. And they all look worn out except for Katrina's just fucking dropping. Like left yeah. and right. And they're having to like pick her up and have care. She just looks like she's been on a bender and she went where the bender took her. And <laughs> she's so fucking drunk. Um, she looks like, uh, what is it, that movie Smoking Aces when all the whores are <laughs> used up? And he's like, these flowers have wilted. Call the floors for some new ones. <laughs> but they walk up to a gas station. Uh, for Montoya to walk up and steal a car, and this guy pulls up with the Buick, and out steps Frank Darabont, who's famous for like Nightmare on Elm Street three, Shawshank Redemption, Green Mile, uh, first season of Walking Dead. He was the showrunner. Okay. Montoya pulls a gun on him and takes the keys and takes the car. So they get in the car and they drive back to the motel where the massacre happened. And Jack tells Montoya to go to this certain hotel in some part of town with Katrina and wait for him. And Montoya's like, "Don't forget rule number seven. You never bury a member alone. Yeah. And, uh, and he's like, this is the whole fucking team, Jack, you know, and this, this and that. <laughs> and he's like, what's your plan? He's like, we cut this bitch's fucking head off. We bury everybody together. And we go back to, is it El Rey or Monterey? Monterey. Yeah. And, uh, um, is another movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming up, but Jack wins the argument and yeah. Montoya leaves with Katrina and they're in his Jeep. The one with the winch on it. Right. And you get this really fucking cool scene of Jack staking all the bodies. Yep. Cutting off all the heads, puts them all in a bag, fucking pours gas over the whole motel, burns the whole scene down, buries the, the heads a little ways away. And I think that's when he rolls up to the payphone, right? And he calls the church. Possibly. And he, and he lets them know that the whole team's dead. Yeah. And he's told to report in, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It cuts back to the hotel room and Montoya's watching the news. and They're talking about like this massacre at a motel that was torched. There were bodies found and the heads were found a mile away buried, right? Yeah. So the police were fucking on top of this one. Maybe it's because Jack called the church. I don't know. Uh, but we also see that it's nightfall and Valak's like crawling out of a train. So he was riding on a train trying to get somewhere. I yeah. don't know if it's after Jack or, or, or something else. Now, I, I do got to point out that is this when we see Katrina on the bed? She's in the bed. Yeah. So she's talking butt ass naked. <laughs> yeah. So she's butt ass naked, duct tape mouth shut, arms spread out. Face down on the bed. <laughs> Why does he have her tied up like that? Uh, he says that he cleaned her up. Well, I know they go through all that, but why? Why I this position? Don't <laughs> it's just <know>. so weird. <laughs> it is kind of like, but he explains it nonchalantly. He's like, look, I cleaned you up. I didn't touch you, blah, blah, yeah. blah. I mean, she's tied up so that she don't get up and fucking eat them. Obviously. But uh, yeah, why is she tied that way? I yeah. don't know. Why, why not lay her on her back? Yeah. Maybe it was uh, the actress was only comfortable showing her butt. Yeah, maybe. That is probably what it came down to. Yeah. <laughs> 
But the next day, uh, Jack goes to a Catholic church and you see like a priest bandaging him up and he meets Cardinal Alba, who introduces him to Father Adam, who's the archivist for the church. New Padre. (laughs) The new Padre. And he's talking about like explaining that he was so fast. He's stronger than any vampire I've ever seen. He could take so much damage. Is this the one that we've always talked about, Cardinal? And you find out that like Adam had father Adam has this like little portrait that was found where another team got massacred. Yeah. A little ways away. And uh, it's got Valak on there. And he's like, this is the fucking asshole right here. And there's like a symbol on there. And he's like, his name's Jan Valak. And they explain that he was a priest and he turned on the church and it was in some war and he got captured for heresy and burned at the stake. And then he was seen at night eating people or drinking their blood. And he's the first known case of vampirism. So Jack's like, this is the first vampire. I got to kill this motherfucker. Right. (laughs) But, uh, the Cardinal tells him he wants him to go back to Monterey to get a new team. And that father Adams, the new Padre. Yep. Right. And Jack's not having it. (laughs) He's like, fuck this. I'm going, I'm getting my revenge. I got to stop this. And there's, there was also reference of a black cross mentioned, right? Yeah. There's a legend about a black cross that could let vampires walk in daylight. Correct. Cardinal Alba basically says, if you leave right now and do this, you do not have the backing or the funding of the church right now. Yeah. And he doesn't give shit and he leaves. And then the coroner just looks at, at Father Adam. He's like, go with him. <laughs> he knew Jack was going to go. He tells him to stay close is what I think he says. So it cuts to Jack and Adam driving in the, the big truck with the equipment. And they're talking. And it also cuts back to the hotel. And I think that was the scene you referenced earlier with Katrina. Okay. And he's basically letting her know that she was bit by a vampire and that it's a blood infection and that she has it and she'll turn a vampire in a few days. And she has a link to the master. And we're going to use it. I mean, he, he straight up tells her everything. Yeah. <laughs> he leaves nothing out. Yeah. That's a scene where he's like trying to give her, make her eat a burger because it'll slow down the virus. And she's yeah. like, no, but I'll take that cigarette. Yeah. Yeah. And then he tries to eat the burger and he thinks it tastes like shit. Um, but, but Adam, Adam says that father Adam, I'm just, I'm probably gonna call him Adam most time. He yeah. says that he's followed Jack, you know, Jack's career forever. And that, uh, Jack's parents were killed by vampires. And then Jack was trained as a child to be the master hunter for the Catholic church. Yeah. Right. So he's the master hunter. He's not just like the squad leader. And, um, and this is, this and that, and is this where Jack fucking locks up the brakes in the truck and, and drags him out? Yeah. Because he beats father Adam's ass at least five times in this fucking movie. Um, <laughs> uh, he, he just knocks the <laughs> shit out of him in the desert. Sorry. I'm just thinking about what he says when they get back in the truck. He's fucking cold cocking him. And, um, and he's like, why did Valak know my name? Cause he said that to the Cardinal earlier also. And the yeah. Cardinal looked at Adam like, I don't fucking know. And, um, and he's like, I swear, I don't know anything. I don't know anything. And yeah, because he threatens to fucking shoot him in the head. Yeah. And he's like, shoot me. I don't know anything. Yeah. He's like, you can shoot me. I don't know shit. So Jack believes them, you know, and, and they get back in the truck and, and they start driving back on their way. And he shows them a, a map that he has. And the map has like all the vampire attacks and it's a spiraling search pattern to yep. a certain area. And Adam's like, I've never seen this. And he's like, of course you hadn't it because this is just for me and my team. Right. So <laughs> Jack's been trying to figure what's going on. And uh, is this when he's like, <laughs> Hey, Padre, back there, when I was flipping your ass, did you get a little wood? <laughs> a little mahogany, a little yeah. ebony. <laughs> so that, so that's one of James Wood's just off-the-cuff, ad-libbed craziness. I, I hear all of them were. It's, okay. it's like fucking Gary Busey and Silver Bullet, <laughs> which is a fucking work of art either way. But Jack's saying that he thinks the search pattern's probably to this black cross that allow vampires to walk in the sunlight. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're back at the hotel again and Katrina wakes up and she's getting a POV of, of Valak going into a Catholic church. And, uh, 
she's like freaking out a little bit, but not telling Montoya what's going on because he keeps trying to go to sleep, which she's not tied up at this point now. I mean, he's sleeping on this gun in his lap. She could have killed him any fucking yeah. moment. But she asks if she can get dressed. And he's like, well, sure. And she's like, by myself. And, and you know, she goes in the bathroom trying to shut the door because she's freaking out because he's vision. She didn't want him to know. And he's like, hey, leave the door open just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he makes her leave it cracked. But then he figures out she went out the window. Yep. And the camera pans around and she's walking across. Why she didn't just jump from there, I don't know. But she's walking along the ledge to jump off and commit suicide because she just wants to die. And as she goes to jump, he reaches to the window, Montoya does, and he yanks her through and breaks the glass. And he's got a cut and he's like, I'm fucking bleeding. Look what you did. And then she bites the the blood. Yeah. Right? And, and I have to say, and that's 100% his fucking fault because yes. he shoves it right in her face. Yes. Like, look what you did to me. And he's like, you fucking bitch. You fucking whore. You bit me. And he just cold cocks her and throws her down on the bed like dead weight because he's a big son of a bitch. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, what's he do then? He cauterizes the wound with the Zippo. Yeah. With the Zippo and then wraps graphic. it up. <laughs> We cut back to like Adam and Jack talking and uh, Jack's like, I'm not going back to Monterey. And Adam's like, I'm going to have to report you to the church. And I think there's another ass whooping coming for Father Adam at this part of the movie. <laughs> I'm beginning to like you. So don't make me hurt you. Okay. Just tell me what you know. I'll buy you a beer and get you laid. Come on. You don't tell me I'm going to have to start cutting on you. Well, this is the part where we get some more details about Valak. Yeah. Cause, um, are they back at the hotel? Maybe they're back at the hotel now. They may be back by that point. She's explaining what she's seeing. Cause Jack comes in and he's like, what happened? And he's like, she tried to commit suicide. So I slugged her. What happened to your arm? I cut it on the glass. Like anything else you want to tell me? Right. And and she starts getting the visions again. She sets yeah. up and she sees him like killing a, a, a lady in the church. Yep. Right. And taking a priest. Yep. Right. And then uh, he's interrogating the priest about something. And then she's like, he killed him. He killed the priest. Right. And she sees a highway sign, so she knows roughly where he's at. And this Father Adam starts to be a little more useful again. And uh, he's like, oh, I'll call around and see which churches are in this area. Yeah. And Jack's like, look for one missing an old padre. Uh, you see Jack and, and Father Adam, it's daytime now, show up at a church. And they're talking to, like, the local law enforcement. And he's like, so you're the investigators the church sent? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're looking for a string of serial killers that are murdering priests. Yeah. And uh, that's a pretty good you know, it's a pretty, pretty good cover story. I feel like I'm watching an episode of Supernatural. It really does. Maybe this is where the idea came from. You know, they talk to the cops and they get as much information as the police have, but the priest is still missing, I think. And then a cop runs in saying he found the body, yeah. right? And we have Jack and, and fucking Adam talking again. And he's wanting to know what that symbol was that was on that valet card. And he lets him know it's a symbol for sunlight, right? So he's starting to give Jack a little more information. Yeah. Um, but then Jack decides to beat the shit out of him in a bathroom to interrogate him further and he's got like a towel that he's trying to cram in his mouth so he can fucking stab him to death and nobody can hear him scream and <laughs> and, and uh adam decides to finally talk at this point yeah and uh he finds out that the church thought valak was possessed and they did a rare ritual that was an odd form of exorcism yeah and then it went wrong and it was an inverse exorcism so the body is destroyed but the possessed soul would remain therefore creating uh, a vampire and this happened in like Berzier and it's the black cross of Berzier and it was used there. Right. Okay. I might be butchering the name, but we're going to refer to it as the black cross henceforth. But during this time we cut back to Katrina and Montoya and she's getting visions of Valet crawling out of the ground. And she's got seven masters with them. They're not yep. just seven vampires. He has seven masters, which they're not all as strong as Valak, but we're led to believe they're a lot stronger than the goons. Right. Exactly. And they go into a monastery murder, fucking every monk in there. And they find the black cross and take it. The vampires do. And Jack and Adam, you know, take this information and head to the monastery 
and they see the spot where the cross used to be and there's fucking bodies dead everywhere. Yeah. And they're like in a fountain full of blood and it's like recycling the blood water through. It's a yeah. really awesome visual in a, in a <laughs> horrifying way. So they decide to use Katrina to travel and find the place where Valak and the Masters are, are resting because their link's getting stronger, right? And they find like a jail. And they're like, that's the most secure place to sleep in. Yep. And the trio suits up like fucking, he's like, Padre, you ready to slay some vampires? And he's like, yes, sir. And, uh, you know, they put like the, the chain collars. He can't get his neck bit and like forearm plates. And yeah, he's like, Padre's stepped it up a bit. He's ready to rock. Yeah, they wrap him up pretty good. Because that's a funny thing. You know, he was told to assemble a new team. So he went from the big badass team that's all dead to fucking the two main guys. <laughs> but not even with the main guy, the winch guy and the scared ass Padre. <laughs> <laughs> but the plan they come up with is the, the vampires are sleeping downstairs and they can see masters patrolling. Yeah. So... Montoya or one of them will go to the Jeep. One of them will be bait in the elevator and the other one will wait in the switch room with the crossbow. Well, they figure out that father Adam has to be the bait and they're not happy with that, but he doesn't know how to drive. He never learns. He was raised by the church and he doesn't know how to fire a crossbow. Yep. So Adam gets in the elevator and he goes down. He's supposed to wait for the master to charge him and the master didn't even come at him. So he steps out and, and you know, Fucking, what does he say to Jack really? He's like, I used to play soccer. I'll be fine. And he's like, you can't do this. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and he's watching. He's like, get the fuck back in the elevator. And, and Father Adam steps out, gets the master to chase him, runs in, dives up in the elevator. Master chases him up. And he does a good job of defending himself while the elevator's coming yeah. down. And it's a little sloppy, but uh, Jack pulls the master out of the ceiling in the elevator and fucking ends up staking him with the crossbow bolts. And he gets pulled out, and apparently Masters are big boom when they, when they, when they get brought out of the sunlight. It's a lot bigger. Big bada boom. And there was like a vampire when they walked in the door, too, that they had to kill. There was just like a regular the blonde vampire. lady one. Yeah, and I think that's all they kill because everything like didn't go properly. No, no. Um, is the female master come yet, or is that after the sun goes down? Uh, I don't they remember. They get the female master. They, they she, end up stopping because they can't kill a master. They, they try to send the elevator back down, and she jumps up and grabs the elevator from the bottom, and they're like, why is it stopping? And I guess it's because the extra weight uh, holding on to it. And she, uh, Jack's walking by to go check the cameras, and she busts through it, like just explodes, and the master comes out. And that's the one that he's trying to stake and uh, shoot with the crossbow bolt. And um, Oh, like as it's being drugged. Yeah, she's being drug out. Okay. Yeah, she holds onto the pole and snaps the line. So Montoya has to retie the line. So then Jack tackles her and he's trying to stab her with the stake. And then Montoya gets the line rigged up and starts dragging her out. But Jack's attached. Like she's holding on to him. Yeah. And he fucking empties his pistol in her face. It's so cheesy the way the, the gunshot went off. It's great as special effects, where I guess you, you can't have blanks going off in that actor's face like True. that, right? So he gets off at the last second. She drug, gets drug out, catch on fire. Big boom. Sun starts to set, though. Like, they had too many mistakes. They couldn't yeah. go in and take out all seven masters. And Jack's wanting to go in, and fucking Montoya steps in. Rule number 10, you can't kill a master at night. Jack does not give a fuck about these no, rules. No, not at this point. And Valak and the masters start to come out. Um, and they just charge straight out the jail. There's no, like, exposition or anything. They come after yeah. him. He's like, Jack, again. <laughs> and uh, Valak beats the shit out of Jack, takes him hostage. Father Adam hides. I don't, I don't know if they never saw him or what, but he got away. Yeah. They didn't even look for him. And uh, Montoya drives off with Katrina, and he tries to empty, you know, his fucking sub machine gun on him, but it's, it's fucking futile. And he makes it just a little bit down the road, and Katrina's fangs come out, and she fucking bites him in the throat, rips up part of his throat, drinks his blood. She gets out fucking happier than shit fucking walking down the street covered in blood strutting up to the master yeah she finally got a meal i know right so she's like i guess fully transitioned at this point 
Yeah. But we cut to outside the church and Jack's tied up. Father Adam is spying from some sort of restaurant or something. And Cardinal Alba's there. And yep. like, oh shit. And he's telling Jack that like he started getting older and realizing that he was going to die and he feared death and he wanted eternal life. So he made a deal with the devil to help him find the Black Cross. And then he would get turned by Valak and be a vampire and be immortal forever. You are truly a pile of dog shit, Cardinal. That's correct, Jack. And I can live with that. You see Katrina walking up with blood on her, though. And Jack calls Valak a pole-smoking fashion victim. And Jack's like, you're the now the lone crusader, right? No. And, and that crusader is kind of crucial here in a minute. The vamps are all around them, though, setting up this black cross. And they're setting up like a, a giant cross, like a separate giant cross and a yeah. bonfire. And you find out that the way the ritual works, a crusader has to be crucified. And then his blood has to be used and then he has to be burned on the cross. Okay. So that's why Jack's here. That's why Jack's not dead. They needed him the whole time. Cause I guess it's like the head vampire hunter. He's like the Holy crusader, right? Yeah. And they need a priest to lead the ceremony. Correct. Which they have a cardinal. Yep. So, but Montoya is not fucking dead. He's a goddamn cockroach. He gets up, <laughs> fires a sub up in the air to get the barrel hot, cauterizes the wound on his neck again. This guy's all about burning some wounds. He shut. is, man. <laughs> And uh, he sneaks up and he's watching from the hills. I don't know what his initial plan was, but I guess just a scout. Father Adam finds a shotgun under the bar in the restaurant, right? And he grabs that and he gets up on the roof. And while the cardinal, the cardinal cuts Jack's leg, gets some blood in a, in a goblet. And you see Valak drinking the blood. Yeah. And this, this, and that. And I don't know where the cardinal just gets fucking blasted with a shotgun and he's dead. And it cuts to Father Adam up there with the shotgun, and he's like, I killed your priest. You don't have anyone to do the ritual. And Valak's like, I got you. And he puts the fucking shotgun up to his head. He's like, no, you don't. And, uh, and then Valak grabs a torch, and he starts trying to fucking roast Jack's nuts with the open flame. Yeah. And he's like, come on, Padre. He's roasting my nuts over here. <laughs> and, um, and you see Montoya fucking ride up in the Jeep with a crossbow. And yeah. He shoots the bolt with the tow cable at the top of the cross that Jack's tied on before they can set him on fire drives off and drags the cross down. Okay. I think this is another scene. They got lucky with sunrise, but it's because the yeah. ritual had to be performed at sunrise to reverse the sunlight. Exactly. To make it where the master could walk up in the daylight. And I don't, I don't know if it's just the master or all vampires. I wonder because they're all descendants. am right. So uh, yeah, well maybe it would be any vampires he turns after the fact, but I think for now it's just going to be him. Yeah. And I, I was kind of like, really, I've always been confused on that little fact there. But the vampires happen to flee from the sun, including Valak, who's fucking angry. And he tries to grab the black cross and it's got this like holy sheen glowing around it. I don't yeah. know if it's just supposed to be the sun reflecting and can be wanted to make that evident or if it's just like, ah, yeah. <laughs> but he can't grab it. And he gets mad and he has to run inside a building because he's about to fucking die from the sunlight. Well, Jack grabs the cross, fucking chases them in because they're just shooting at all the masters and stuff. And um, fucking shit talking ensues and Jack impales the master with the black cross and he's trying to pull the fucking cross out. And, and while he's doing that, Jack realizes there's only like one support beam in this fucking building yeah. and he tackles it and the roof caves in the sunlight comes down and he bursts into flames and he has big time fucking explosion. <laughs> Jack's like, Holy shit. And he just killed the fucking master. So, you know, they basically, they just beat the game. They killed the first vampire. And then you cut out to, um, you know, Montoya talking to Jack and he's like, how long were you bitten? And he's like about two days. Rule number one, if your partner's bitten by a vampire, you never let him live. But he's like, I guess I owe you two days, though. 
So he lets him know, like, you can take the girl, you can take the truck so she can sleep in it. I'll give you two days head start, and then I'm going to find you, and I'm going to fucking kill you both. You know, the Padre's got the shotgun on. We should fucking kill him, Jack. Yeah. He's like, let's off him right now. And he's like, what do you think, Padre? Two days fair? He's like, two days is fair, Jack. Because <laughs> <laughs> Padre's a badass now. And they uh, they hug because they're like best friends. Yeah. And he lets him go because he knows he's got to fucking kill him next time he sees him. And they part ways. Jack and Father Adam start walking towards the door, and he's like, you ready to clear out a nest? And he's like, yeah. So he's like, so earlier, you know, in the car, he was like, when I was kicking your ass, did you get wood? When they're walking into the jail to clear out the nest, he goes, so Padre, when you're sticking that vampire back there, did you get a little wood? And uh, he's like, mahogany, teak. And he's like, Jesus. And he's like, Ebony, I got a full on chub. And he's like, language, Padre. <laughs> and they walk in and, and the credits are rolling. And he's pretty much fucking completely corrupt in the Padre at this point. Yeah. Um, fucking awesome movie. He wanted a vampire Western. He pulled it off. Yeah, and this one, it, it really is, and I didn't think about this the couple of times that I've watched it, I'm thinking about it from a Western angle. The the Western angle and the th- this this teeters on into what you call action. It really yeah. is an action movie, with va- an action Western with vampires. It was, but like where Underworld is almost purely an action movie yeah. with vampires. This had like a lot of vampire mythos it and did. lore. I really like the Catholic Church backing like a vampire hunter organization. Um, I really liked they found an interesting way to make the first vampire because yeah. honestly this and uh dracula 2000 are the two most creative ways the first vampire was ever made to me no because in dracula 2000 have you seen it yeah yeah the fact that it was um judas of Iscaria, you know like cursed for turning on jesus and, yeah and he was hung at sunlight so that's why sun hurts him and like he was paid 30 pieces of silver so that's what silver hurts vampires and it was all fucking awesome yeah the like, hardcore religious angle and I like how they did that in this one, like with that, the exorcism going wrong and stuff. Yeah. Um, the movie was successful. The movie made money. The movie made John Carpenter not retire. <laughs> so that's a plus. Uh, of course, he did his own score. So that was really neat. He did his own music again, just like Halloween. And honestly, really, he's done that for most of his movies, right? I think so. Um, I couldn't really fit it in to like what I was describing when I was explaining the movie. But I did put in my notes here, like Jack Crow's giant rant that he gave Adam uh, after he beats his ass the first time in the truck about uh-huh. he's like, what do you know about vampires? You ever seen one? And he's like, no. And uh, yeah. this is this is about to get a uh, non PC. But this line was I think it was improv. <laughs> and it's, just, it's fucking hilarious. And he's like, well, first of all, they're not romantic. It's not like they're a bunch of fucking fags hopping around and rented formal wear and seducing everybody in sight with cheesy Euro trash accents. All right. Forget whatever you've seen in the movies. They don't turn into bats. Crosses don't work. Garlic? You want to try garlic? You could stand there with garlic around her neck, and one of those buggers will bend you fucking over and take a walk up your strata chocolata while he's sucking the blood out of your neck, all right? And they don't sleep in coffins, lined in taffeta. You want to kill one, you drive a wooden stake right through their fucking heart. Sunlight turns them into crispy critters. And that was his explanation of vampires. To fucking Father Adam. <laughs> I was wondering where like four of those lines were. I'm glad you did that. It's one giant rant. I don't know how much of it's improv. I don't know how much of it's written. Um, I wish I would have kind of just thrown it in the scene. But it was, I mean, that's holy jumped up Palomino Jesus Christ or whatever. <laughs> that's fucking that level. And that line had to make it into the fucking episode. But God, I fucking love that movie. It's just, it's a fun one. Unfortunately, the sequel sucked. Starring bon- John Bon Jovi. <laughs> Yeah, the head vampire hunter. It was not a good movie. No, it's it's a fun movie, and it does it. There's a little bit of everything in it, from the action to the comedy to the lore to even some campy, almost slapstickiness 
in a couple of spots, mainly with the dialogue. And some awesome practical effects from KMB Studios. As always. This brings us to was going to be the oddball for one coming from Josh, and that's Bram Stoker's Dracula 1992. Yes. yes. Josh is going to talk about one of the most dramatic, artsy vampire movies ever made. It was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. I mean, so, it's the godfather of vampire movies, you can tell. Exactly. And the reason that I wanted to talk about this movie was, A, the story is so fucking well known. Um, a lot of people think, oh, it's the oldest vampire story. It's actually not. It's, it's just not. It's, it's not the oldest by like 70, 80 years, um, but it's the most well known. Yes. And uh, this movie in particular is the most well-known movie holding closest to the original source material. Before I go into this, James Rolfe, Cinemassacre. If people still don't know who I'm talking about, the angry video <laughs> game nerd. Um, he's way more into movies than he is uh, video games. That's why he did all this shit and made his angry video game movie. The dude fucking loves movies. He does horror movie reviews every Halloween. But he did a recent video where he wanted to take all the vampire movies and see which ones held closest to the book. Yeah. And he narrowed it down to 12 to start off his final <laughs> fucking running because there's so many movies. And it came down to this and the BBC's 1977, I believe, production okay. that was just Dracula. But the movie really does hold very, very close to the book. And there was something interesting happening in cinema at this time. This is this in another movie. It's almost like this bridge between the old style of filmmaking and the new style of filmmaking. I mean, we can go back to like Nosferatu and the hammer horror films and stuff like that. This was like the more classic Victorian soundstage theater-esque. This was towards the end of that. Yes. But as far as a quote unquote serious movie, this is what you used to get. Now, fucking there's two big hangups here. One Dracula is painted as very, very sympathetic character you want to feel sorry for him like frankenstein's monster yep um which is not true to the book um and they go the vlad the impaler route which is also not true to the book yes this is josh i have not read the book um (laughs) but i did do a little bit of research it was uh it fit really well though going the vlad the impaler route it did and uh that was part growing up that i always thought the vlad the impaler thing was you know where dracula came from Mm -hmm. you know he was vladimir dracul the vlad the impaler and uh say what you want about vlad the impaler and the the truth of the origin of those stories and everything the whole idea is just fucking neat and we wouldn't be where we are today or any of these other movies that we have talked about or are going to talk about without this book right another interesting thing was that it's bram stoker's dracula and not francis ford coppola's dracula yes Uh, apparently you're just not allowed to call a movie fucking dracula unless you're universal studios (laughs) Uh, and i guess that's why wes craven did dracula 2000 like i guess you just can't do it yeah they may hold the rights to the name this is going to be really hard to do Uh, this movie has a runtime of i think two hours and seven (laughs) minutes and there's a fuck ton of artsy shots there's a boatload of fucking dialogue um, luckily though, it's, there's a lot of just being there scenes that we can yeah. probably just go from main plot point to and minor plot point. pretty much the angle I'm going to go with. And there's a lot of shit that's narrated, but I'm yeah. just going to tell you how it happened. So Dracula was in battle with the Turks yep. fighting for the church. He's out battling and he's a badass and he's out slaughtering some fucking invading Muslim Turks. And while this is going on, they go back to his castle and shoot an arrow in with a note that his bride finds that says he was killed in battle yes he's out slaying and shit she actually leaps to her death because he's gone she doesn't want to live anymore so you got kind of like that romeo and juliet thing going on yeah and uh 
He comes back, finds her dead body that had been pulled from the river along with her suicide note. Yeah. And he loses his shit. Well, it's because the, the church says that she can't go to heaven because she's a suicide. Yeah. And so he's like, fuck your church. Yeah. And that's it. He fucking renounces his faith. He's like, I fought for God and this is how God repays me. He fucking stabs the cross. It bleeds. I don't know why it bleeds. I mean, I'm, I guess just the pure blasphemy of yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know. He lets out a scream, which is not Gary Oldman. Do you know who it was? It's the lead singer of the fucking Cramps. <laughs> when I read that, I was like, holy shit, that's awesome. And Gary Oldman is fucking fantastic in this movie, he as is. he is in everything. Yeah. But like, I just want to throw that in there. Him and Anthony Hopkins are fucking unbelievably great in this movie. Well, they have to carry Keanu Reeves. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> Somebody should have carried his ass off set. Oh, I should meant to say that earlier. Well, I'll say it when we get to his character introduction. But anyways, <laughs> um, so he drinks the blood from the, cro- from the cross, renounces his faith. He's now, I guess, the all-powerful Dracula. So 400 years later, we've got Renfield. Yes. Renfield has gone fucking insane <laughs> and has been committed. So now Jonathan Harker has to take his place at work, which is this. The bank, right? I, they say lawyer, and I never understood that, or maybe I read lawyer, but basically it's a real estate fucking deal. Is all well, it is. it's I think they handle his financial affairs okay. and legal matters. So like they'll go buy property for him, they'll make sure contracts are taken. That care makes of more that, sense yeah. if it's a, a more overarching thing. Okay, because he says something about like if you want a bigger part in this firm, blah blah blah, you'll go. Because he's like I'm about to be married. <laughs> okay, but uh, he needs to travel to Transylvania to meet Lord Dracula and. Uh, Go over the deal for buying these, I think it's 10 lots of land or yes. houses or whatever in London. I was really mad they didn't explain what the lots were for, for in the movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was, from what I understand, it was gridded out across the city where he would have his safe haven once he moved there so he could move freely throughout the city yeah. and always have a place to make it back to his homeland. Right, because later in the movie, he he talks about how much dirt's being dug up. Yeah. Right? And it's because you, you see that he puts dirt in his coffin, but it's because there's different ones in these 10 locations exactly. that can always make it home before sunrise. Yeah, because he has to be in his home earth. I read this book, like, in high school. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, but I don't remember. Like, I do remember them explaining the fucking houses. <laughs> so, uh, Jonathan leaves behind Mina and goes to visit Dracula. And uh, Drac ends up telling... I'm going to probably bounce back and forth between saying Jonathan and Harker. So sorry. But uh, <laughs> so Dracula tells Harker about uh, the order of the dragon and the failed quest to protect the church. This is more Vladimir. Uh, almost said Putin. <laughs> <laughs> this is more Vlad the Impaler type stuff. Right. Because he sees the painting on the wall of I don't remember if it's Vlad Tempest or if it was just like him. Because this is like butt bun head. Yeah. Fucking Dracula. That's old as shit. And he's like, that was my great, great grandfather. But it's him, obviously. Yeah. Because yeah, he makes some kind of a comedic remark and Dracula turns around with a sword and thrusts yeah. it at his throat. And he's like, this is no laughing matter. It's so out of nowhere. It freaked me the fuck out. But they're going over the maps and that's what happens through like their encounters in the beginning. It's like one hand, it's business. On the other hand, you're seeing the out of place shadow in the background. Yes. On one hand, it's business. On the other hand, there's this very odd remark or very odd response. Yeah. Because Francis Ford Coppola said that he felt like vampires were so unnatural that they would alter all laws of physics. Exactly. So the shadows are doing different things. Water runs upwards. Yep. Rats run on ceilings. And it's just like, Sometimes it's in your face and sometimes it's just in the background. Yep. And it's that Stanley Kubrick, the hotel doesn't make sense in the shining <laughs> uncomfortableness. Like it's really fucking genius how he did it. Yeah. So as they're going over the locations in London, um, Dracula sees the, uh, the picture of Mina. Yeah. And he's like, starts fucking crying and shit and tells the story of his, his lost bride, uh, Elizabetta. 
which is it's so hard for me to say. I always want to say Elizabetha, <laughs> which doesn't make any sense either. Um, so back home, we see that Mina's staying with Lucy. And uh, I don't know how it is in the book, but uh, I, in my notes, I called her uh, Loose Lucy. Because <laughs> um, she's talking about the three men. Yeah. We've got Quincy the Texan, uh, Jack the Doctor, and Arthur the Rich Boy, yeah. who is Carrie Ellis. Yeah. And uh, so I don't know if she's just flirting with all three of them or banging all three of them, but she she acts as if, quote unquote. Well, you got to think like this is still that era where like because she's rich, like she's like a yeah. from a prominent family and yeah. there would be suitors shown to her and she would pick one. So it's a bit of both, I think, because she does say something to uh, Mina about like, I don't know, some dick joke about like, yeah, and I don't remember what it is. So yeah. She has uh, several sex jokes. She and makes. she, you know, says something about how she had sex the night before. And she's like, no, you didn't. So you don't really know if she's like full of shit yeah. or not. Well, on that one, they're looking in the, like the Kama Sutra and she's like in my <laughs> dreams. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so it could just be the times, right? Yeah. But, uh, we see, uh, Dracula kind of come to Mina in the form of shadow and, uh, Jack ends up visiting Renfield and Renfield's. Renfield's bonkers. Okay. He's already yeah. full blown. We could talk a lot more about his character, but the important thing is that, uh, he says that the master is coming to make him immortal. Yeah. And he eats bugs. Yeah. <laughs> I would love a but kitten. <laughs> what about the sparrow? <laughs> but anyways, yeah, this, he's fucking batshit. <laughs> he's great. Um, and I forget who the fuck plays him. It's Tom Waits. Yeah. So anyways, back at the castle, we see uh Dracula walk in on Jonathan while he's shaving. <laughs> and uh, he says some shit to him and he takes the razor away from him after he cuts himself. Yeah. And Gary Oldman does this <laughs> lick of the blood off. And supposedly he'd been like up all night shit face drunk. He did the whole scene drunk. I don't know if he's up all night, but I did know he did the entire okay. scene drunk. At Coppola's request. Possibly. Who the fuck knows? But we have two artistic geniuses here know, working right? together. But at any rate, it's just really creepy. It's more set up of what the fuck's going on. But the important thing is, is he tells Jonathan that he wants him to write letters to his right. family, to his fiance, and to work. Yeah. And obviously, he's going to be looking at him. And this scene makes me so uncomfortable. And I'm not just talking about the... When he's licking the razor, okay? <laughs> but I, I figured it out why it made me uncomfortable this last watch through. The fucking walls are closing in. Yeah. It wasn't like a real set. It's just guys standing there with fake walls, and they purposely just stepped in closer and closer to make it claustrophobic. And I'm like, every time I found something out or caught something like that, because I haven't seen this one in a long time, I'm like, this is just like that fucking Kubrick Shining thing. Like, every time, because I never actually knew the walls were closing in, but I knew I did not like that fucking scene because it made me uncomfortable. Well, I remembered what was going on in that scene because of the Sega CD game. Yeah, I remember that game. <laughs> um, but uh, when Dracula leaves, he literally goes out and is climbing the castle wall. Yeah. And uh, Jonathan sees that shit. And... Uh, <laughs> Jonathan ends up in the whole sex puddle, cuddle puddle thing with, with Drax three brides. Is this where they're rising on the bed? And yes. Shit? Yeah. They had to get like fucking magician to help them make that scene. Cause they're like, how do we do this shit? <laughs> and, uh, Dracula comes in there and he goes the fuck off. He's like, the, he's mine. You yeah. fucking get over here. Like the obedient dogs you are. That's not what he says, but that's what plays out. And he gives him a baby to eat. <laughs> so fucked up. Just fucked up. And, um, uh, that so was, that was the original orgy of the damned though. Right <laughs> so, uh, in one of the letters to Mina, Jonathan describes the, uh, the servants fill in the boxes with earth. And that's like what we talked about earlier. Obviously that's going to be what goes home for him to have safe ground to rest in. And we start to see Dracula's psychic link 
through the letters start to grow stronger with Mina. That's yes. what's going on. That's why he wants the letters. Because it was really an interesting take. Whereas in Fright Night, Amy looks like his lost love. And yeah. he just like fucking hypnotizes her and he turns into a vampire. Mina actually starts to regress and have like memories. Like yes. she actually is the reincarnated version of the love, right? Yeah. Which I thought was an interesting perspective. I don't know if I've ever seen that. I don't know, that but, way. but she does. So we end up with Dracula setting sail for London and uh, in one of the boxes. The link gets stronger. The psychic link gets stronger as he gets closer. And the first thing he does when he arrives is he wolfs out and he goes and bangs and bites Lucy. Yeah. Because she's a willing, as gets told by Van Helsing later, she's, she's a willing participant. The devil's concubine. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting because he can turn into a wolf, but then he turns into like a fucking werewolf also. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he does werewolf, wolf. Bat, mist, rats yeah. is everything that he does, if I remember correctly. <laughs> I really wish I put more quotes in here from Van, Hes- Van Helsing. Yeah, they're fucking great. <laughs> so now that he's there, he turns back into his younger form mm-hmm. and befriends and starts wooing Mina. That's the easiest way for me to say it. There's so many fucking scenes, but that's what's going on. There's one important scene that does happen at one point that uh, I will bring up when we get to it. Meanwhile, Lucy is, uh, she's fading. And so specialists are called in and it's Dr. Van Helsing. Yeah. Dracula ends up taking, uh, Mina home. Now to her, he's Prince Vlad. Yes. Just to throw that out there. Um, so we get introduced to Van Helsing. He gets the telegram and he's doing like a medical school thing when he gets it. And then he goes on this rant about disease of the blood and syphilis is the immorality of the church is trying to eradicate. Like he's trying to make this point that like. <laughs> This is unclean. We don't want the unclean. He has so many great lines in the movie. I don't know how much of it's pulled from the book or fucking not. I don't remember if he was specifically like a blood disease doctor in the book or not either. But that's like what's made apparent in this movie. Yeah. So Van Helsing ends up coming over. He finds the bite on Lucy and does a blood transfusion. And uh, he walks outside with Quincy and Jack, I believe. He's like, she's had the blood of two men, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And like they're figuring it out through conversation and Van Helsing is like, so what are you saying? That some creature just came and sucked her blood and left, not spilling a drop. That must be what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause there's like, there's not enough room in there for two men's blood. And, this yeah. and that. he's like just skulking in the background. Yeah. So it has to be supernatural. We've got Dracula continuing to woo Mina. The psychic link gets stronger and stronger. And uh, Mina actually sees the fate of Isabetta. Yeah. She's describing his homeland to a T and all that. And that's where we start getting basically the becoming of her. Yes. And uh, she cries and he grabs her tears and they become diamonds. Yeah. So why? I don't know. Don't (laughs) know, but he's fucking mystifying her at this point. While this is going on, Jonathan finally fucking escapes. So he's constantly getting fed on by Dracula's brides. And eventually he makes his way out of the castle, jumps into the river, moat, whatever below. And uh, he ends up at like a monastery or whatever the hell. He's there with the sisters and they pin a letter. It's like, we found Jonathan. You need to come where we are to be wed immediately. Lucy ends up fully on fucking turning. Yeah. And she's in bed. She goes to bite Quincy because he's there with her. And I think it's even one of those times where she's like, oh, kiss me because she's so whorish. Yeah. Um, and but I mean, I'm not saying that to be funny or anything. It's like important in the movie. Every man that's near her, she's. Like, even when she's engaged to one of them, she still has the other ones kissing her and exactly. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Because this is still, this is going the old vampire legend where the vampire has to feed on you for three nights yeah. before you can turn. This is when Van Helsing sees the fangs 
he does studies on the old vampire legend of Vlad the Impaler, which is not in the book, but whatever. Dracula ends up getting a letter from Mina saying that I can't see you anymore. I'm going to wed my husband, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. He's not happy about that. <laughs> um, he's actually very, very unhappy about it. He ends up going back to uh, Lucy as the wolf and quote unquote kills her. Yeah. And uh, at the funeral, Van Helsing, <laughs> Anthony Hopkins, he's so great. <laughs> and he's like, well, we need to cut off her head and stick her heart. <laughs> like, yeah. He's so nonchalant about everything. And uh, they go to the mausoleum and plans to do just that. And um, when they get down there, um, her body's not in the coffin. And she actually comes walking in with this kid who's <laughs> fucking terrified. And they were pissed off at how many takes they did of her carrying this kid because the kid legitimately was terrified. Well, I mean, she was, they had her makeup just like white and dead as fuck. And then that fucking collar was yeah. terrifying by itself. Yeah. And she's got, there's blood pouring out of her mouth or on her mouth. So I don't know if she just, if, if we're supposed to know she just fed off the child. I don't know. But yeah. explain it. they yank the child away from her. Uh, Van Helsing basically pushes her back into the glass coffin with the cross. I think the cross bursts into flames too. I just, it's really weird because she's just like so terrified of the cross and she just completely retreats and goes to sleep. Yeah. It's like, there's a lot of power to have over the vampire. <laughs> yeah. But he brings, he ends up bringing Quincy over. I think, yeah, yeah, no, 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 not Quincy. It's uh, Arthur. Arthur is like, you're going to stake her through the heart. He stakes her through the heart. He chops off her head. So she's actually taken care of. Meanwhile, Jonathan Harker, hmm. that brings me back to the joke that I meant to make earlier. The reason, part of the reason that I picked this was I get to say a vampire movie with Bill S. Preston S. Esquire and a vampire movie with Ted Theodore Logan. <laughs> wow, Sorry. stallions, buddy. I really butchered my setup for that joke. I do think it's funny that Keanu Reeves is like one of the main stars of the movie and probably has the most dialogue in the entire movie. And you've glossed over his entire character because it's that bad. Uh, and you're exactly right. He was only put in there because he was sex appeal for the young lady audience. Uh, I think they wanted Johnny Depp at first. And uh, why not? If I, I want to say he turned it down oh. not that he didn't get it but that he turned it down i mean because i just he would have done a better job it, you know i love keanu reeves in the right role my favorite thing that i i don't remember if it was a video i saw or something that i read was they should have taken keanu reeves and carrie elwis and just switched their their roles maybe and that yeah. would have fixed it all yeah probably uh i mean like he can do like a, a bill and ted a point break he can fucking definitely do john wick that's about it though <laughs> and he's yeah. have to have a british accent in this movie and fucking carry a lot of the scenes by himself, just, you know, and then he's in the presence of such a great actor the whole time in the castle. Yeah. And it just, it shows, I don't know, but it's, know. it just says a lot about him in this movie that you've only mentioned him when you had to and not anything that he said. Yeah. Well, um, they do go through with the wedding, which, uh, was a pickup shot and was an actual priest or whatever. And technically they're married. They're yeah. married <laughs> in the Greek Orthodox church. Yeah. yeah. But they end up going to Carfax Abbey to go destroy the crates of dirt. Yeah. And hopefully destroy Dracula. They don't know he's already vamped out. Hmm. They don't know that he's already taken off, <laughs> <laughs> but mean and Jack go to see Runfield and Drac actually speaks. I keep saying Drac cause I shorthanded it in my notes. Sorry. But uh, Dr I think we all know who you're talking about. Dracula ends up speaking through him and tells Mina to get away from the men or he's afraid he'll never see her beautiful face again or sweet face or some shit like that. So Mina ends up staying in Jack's room at the asylum. That's when the boys go to Carfax to destroy everything. And I hate reading that because I can't not hear a fucking Carfax commercial. <laughs> <laughs> but they destroy the crates and everything. But Dracula ends up coming back. Oh, shit. He hasn't left yet. He hasn't left yet because he comes back in the form of mist. Mm -hmm. And this is where they seal the deal. 
And she says that she actually is ready to give in to him. And then at the last minute, he can't do it because he loves her too much that he can't damn her soul right. to live the way he lives. And she's like, no, fuck that. I want it. Yeah. Not how she says it's all this passionate and dramatic shit. Look, I wanted to do this one and get it out of the way. So if anybody ever said it later, be like, no, motherfucker, we already talked about it. I mean, you can't not do Dracula. (laughs) This is like the first big vampire story. And this is a fucking wonderful film. Like this movie is beautifully made. Like every part of it is awesome. Other. I mean, the movie's so good that you can get by Keanu Reeves shitty British accent and everything. Exactly. It's It's the Dracula story that we all fucking know. And it's one of those. I don't remember what movie we were talking about. I think it was on the Flanagan episode. It's a very visual movie. Yes. Big like, time. You would have to sit here and talk for five hours to cover this movie just to get like the subtle nuances in the background and the creepiness. This is a very fucking well, creepy vampire movie. Everyone was made to read the book before they started filming. And I think it was Anthony Hopkins said it took two days. Um, they didn't just they weren't forced to read the book. They were forced to sit in the room and take turns and read the book together. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that's really cool that they did that too. Yeah. So they were all familiar with the subject matter, but I mean, it's just like, if, even though we're glossing over it, if you've never seen it, watch this fucking movie. Yeah. But the, so the deal goes down, he cuts his chest open she's drinking his blood and, uh, the boys come bursting in and they just see her in the air. Like, what the hell is she doing? And then we see like full six foot tall, half fucking bat. Yeah. Uh, Dracula, he says some shit. I, th- I think that's when we, that may be when we get the cross that bursts in the flames. I don't know. No, the cross that bursts in the flames is when Dracula's in bat form. It was not with Lucy. Okay. Yeah. The cross just completely overpowers her to get in the coffin and go to sleep okay. and die. But uh, basically he turns into a bunch of rats and they fucking run off. I love and that scene. <laughs> Van Helsing's like, we have to burn them. But, it, you know, they're all fucking scurrying away. So we end up with uh, Mina ends up telling Van Helsing that she can see through her link, her psychic link with, uh, Dracula, oh my God, what a name to fucking forget <laughs> that he's returning home. And this is a lot like what was done in John Carpenter's Vampires, where they keep the girl who has the link with the master to yes. use as quote unquote a surveillance camera. So the boys start heading that way. I mean, um, it, it's a really quick, like just chase sequence against the gypsy caravan, right? Well, that's carrying yeah. them. Well, they give this whole, like, first we went through Budapest and blah, 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 I don't care about any of that. But we've got the boys on one trek and then. Uh, Van Helsing and Mina together on this other trek, and they actually make it to the castle first. She starts trying to seduce him. He ends up pulling out one of the wafers yeah. and puts it on her forehead. And that I read about it, and apparently that's a big deal in the book, and that's, that's a communion wafer, right? Yeah. Because I don't remember them talking about it in the movie, and I just assumed that's what it was. It's a holy, it's a representation of the body of the Christ, so it's a holy instrument. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I just, I, they didn't explain it. I don't remember if they do in the book or not, but like the movie definitely didn't, but it, it, it's a holy wafer and a cross works and holy water works, so why not, right? Yeah. Okay. The brides show up and try to start shit, but uh, Van Helsing protects them in a circle of fire. And once the sun goes down, <laughs> he goes and dispatches the fuck out of them, stakes them, chops their heads off, throws their heads down into the river. It's really crazy how brief it is because you see him make the fire, you see the sun cut, you see him retreat, and then it like cuts to him throwing the heads off. And he's like, and I chopped off their heads. Yeah. It's like, All right. I would have loved to see that part. So meanwhile, there we start to have the battle of the, the caravan with the gypsies as they make it in through the gates and as the sun's going down. And, uh, Elisabetta or Mina, <laughs> she's Both, basically yeah. turned at this point. She's like reciting shit at the sky, like trying to darken the sky and shit. And, uh, it's almost like a, like the Kevin Smith joke of a really good blow job that ends in a hand job. <laughs> cause like all this shit happens real fast at the end. It's like, eh. cause they end up getting in the castle gates and Dracula busts out of 
his box and he is immediately has his throat slit by Jonathan as he busts out. And then I think it's Quincy stabs him in the heart. Yeah. I mean, they dispatch of him so easily before that Quincy got stabbed in the back by one of the gypsies. And mm-hmm. uh, cause he actually ends up dying as a, as mean as they're crying and she's yelling at Jonathan Harker. Like, is this what you're going to do to me too? Yeah. And uh, the sun's up at this point, right? That's why Dracula had, Dracula had a retreat. Well, the sun has just gone down when he burst out of the box. Oh, that's right. Never mind. Yeah. I was going to say they specifically said how much weaker he is when the sun's up. But yeah, this this well, one. Yeah. Here. And that's something in here that it's it's made clear. I don't know if it's in the book, but it's made clear in the movie that he can walk around during the day. He just doesn't have a strength. Yeah. And um, but uh, they say that, you know, this is what she has to deal with now. And she takes him inside as he's dying. She lays him down in front of the cross. And basically the read I got off of this is her love, quote unquote, breaks the curse. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's supposed to be. And yeah. he turns Cause back, this is a love story. Yeah. He turns end. back into his normal self. The stab wound on the, on the cross heals. So he's back to Vlad. He asked for her to give him peace and she stabs him through the fucking heart with the, the knife that was already there, stabs it the rest of the way through. As he dies, she's now free too. Yeah. She's not turned anymore. She gives him one last kiss and she cuts off his fucking head. So it's cool that she's like, back normal enough to understand what has to be done. A couple of things. One, what you touched on earlier is the whole special effects thing. Yeah. Because the team that was brought in like, okay, here's what we're going to do. And then Coppola's like, I want this, 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 and this. And they said, okay, we can't do any of this unless it's all digital. And he goes, really? You're all fucking fired. Yeah. And brought in his 29 year old son. Yeah. And they did it all in camera. They did it all old school, like projecting shit on shit, matting, doing mats, all that kind of shit. The only optical effect in the entire fucking movie is the blue flames that I call the portal. Yeah. That's in front of the castle gates. But the rest of it was all done 100% in camera. And when you read and watch like a video on how they did the effects, it's fucking genius. Oh, yeah. And and that's what I was saying, like with the magicians earlier, like they couldn't figure out how to make the bodies come out of the bed. So they called some magicians and like, how do you make shit come out of the ground? Like, oh, we got you. Yep. <laughs> stuff like that. But it's a hundred, almost hundred percent practical effects. A couple of other neat things. Gary Oldman really did shave the mm-hmm. front of his head just to make him look a little bit more off. Yeah. And Gary Oldman, I mean, I know it's not what a performance he had, but what fucking awesome roles this guy's had in his career. He's gotten to be yeah. Dracula, serious black. Fucking Sid Vicious, Commissioner Gordon. I mean, this yeah. guy's fucking roles are just knocking it out the park, man. He is awesome, and he is an awesome character actor that usually, like, a lot of character actors, you see him as the sidekick or the, the second fiddle. Um, You usually don't see a, a hardcore character actor that's the lead that can do so much different stuff. Right. And he does it, like, so fucking well. And I always hear stories every movie he's in. He envisions, like, how the actor or actress with him should react to something. And he always does something fucking crazy. And uh, when he walks up, meets Winona Ryder, I don't even remember. He did something like fucking obscene to make her like turn around and like look shocked. Yeah. Just to get the reaction out of her. And it's just like, he's supposed to be a lovable, fun guy that'll do crazy shit like that. Yep. He's definitely in it for the art. About the only other neat thing about it is uh, the whole thing was shot on sound stages. Despite what you may see in, in the movie, every fucking frame of it was shot on sound stages. I think it was MGM and Universal. I mean, it literally was done. Like an old school Silver Age fucking horror movie. Exactly. And that's where I was going with it, where it and another movie around the same time really feel like the the end of one era and the start of a new era in serious big budget horror. And this is probably the only horror movie Francis Ford Coppola ever made, right? From what I looked at, the only thing, and I I skipped over the writers because the same thing there. Or, no, it was just one writer in this. Uh, James V. Hart. I went and looked. Nothing anywhere near horror. This was... 
And that's what's neat. This was done as taking literature and making a film. And horror was just happened to be part of the subject matter. Did this movie get nominated for any Oscars or anything? Did you look in your research? I didn't look, but it wouldn't surprise me if it did. I mean, it's very, you get that Godfather epic movie vibe out of it, but it's also a fucking awesome horror movie. And the effects, I just can't get past the special effects. They're so well done. And if that movie would have just been made a few years later, it would have been all fucking CGI. Yep. And it would not have came off as creepy. I mean, the practical made it creepy. And then just the, I mean, cinematography is fucking insane, but that goes back to what you were saying with like them projecting stuff on a wall that's on a matte painting that's like next to Keanu Reeves and they superimpose it. And it's like, how the fuck did he come up with all this shit? But it like was awesome. And those scenes wouldn't even existed if they were doing CGI. Exactly. And and there's so much charm, like the, uh, like the eyes and the sky shot and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. There's, you know, there's something just slightly off about it because it is practical and maybe a little out of focus or a little color correction didn't take well, but none of it comes off as cheesy. Right. Um, it really feels like it belongs in that world. Like I said, coming from me, the guy, it's, it's a fucking drama. It is a drama through and through. It's a love story. Yeah. Um, I was really shocked. That was one of the movies you picked because you hate slow horror movies so well, much. I really did pick this one because this and two other vampire movies I saw probably all the same year. Okay. With a, with a friend of mine, Ryan, this one was half because of that. Well, a third because of that, a third because of the Bill and Ted joke and a third because of being serious. There's no way we can talk about vampire movies without talking about this movie. And I wanted to get it out of the way because it's a long ass fucking movie and it's hard to, to do a synopsis of it because it's so visual and so much dialogue, but hopefully I got the gist of it in there. I hate doing the really awesome visual movies because they're so hard to talk about. All these movies that we talked about and all the movies we're going to talk about on the next episode, we wouldn't have if Bram Stoker's Dracula wasn't a thing. So thank God for that drunk Irishman. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Exactly. But if you want to see what other vampire movies that we pick for Vampires Part 2, you'll have to tune in next week and and check those out. I want some more. Of course you want more. Sorry we cheated you guys splitting them, but I just couldn't make a decision on which fucking movies I wanted to do. (laughs) But I hope you guys tune in next week. Keep sending your comments to sbspodcast at gmail.com. Keep subscribing at sbspodcast on Instagram and Twitter. See you next week. Right.